This is an Operation Retroshock service announcement. Before you proceed with this week's episode, we consulted with many experts, and they came to the conclusion that you should eat pizza while listening to this episode. So, if you want to have that extra bit of fun while listening to this week's show, then stop what you're doing right now, pause, go to the phone, pick it up, order yourself a pizza, then come back and enjoy yourself. It's time to watch your favorite TV program. Hit record on your VHS player. Tune in your NES and join Alan Price and Chris Vint with their views as we deploy Operation Retroshock. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 41 of Operation Retroshock. I am Alan Price and alongside me as always is my co-host. I was trying to think of like a painter that I could be um, so I could be like a turtle uh, but I couldn't think of any. I could be Da Vinci. There we go. That that doesn't work sadly. Why? There wasn't a turtle called Da Vinci. I know but I'm trying I'm not trying to be a turtle I'm trying to be a different turtle. I'm trying to be the fifth member of the turtle clan. It just doesn't work, I'm sorry. You have to move on with that. But yes, everybody, Fine. welcome to episode 41 of Operation Retroshock. And we are joined by a very special individual. He is... Have, oh, wait. Have we got the right number this time? Yes, we have got the right number this time. Many moons ago when we had this guy on the show, we made a little mistake. But yes, we have got it right today. We are joined by the one and only Sween Halleck. Welcome, Sween. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. Well, we couldn't really do anything to do with turtles and think, mm, who should we get for this? So everyone else is busy, so I just thought we'd go with you. Ah, uh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, like I thought, you know, maybe you want to talk about something to do with turtles since you do this radical retro toy turtle talk. I know it's turtle toy talk, but it's just sort of mess with them. Um, that thing that kind of has been on a hiatus for a while, but has made a welcome return to Mondays. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, basically buying a house eats up all your time, and then you know working on Pop Culture Network, uh, other things got to take priority over my individual stuff. But yeah, things seem to be slowly getting back to normal. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so uh, 
what we're basically going to do is we're going to have three different segments. First segment is we're going to talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, uh, just you know, different incarnations and stuff. Obviously, we'll probably be focusing more on the older stuff um, because of our main interview is with Townsend Coleman, who is the voice of Michelangelo in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. So you'll have a little listen to that for how long did you say about fifty old minutes? It's about fifty minutes. Yeah, about five ten minutes short of an hour. So probably the longest interview. We've had on Operation Retroshock and it's a corker might I say so and um, after that there then we'll talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films um, so like the live action one and the CGI one as well so um, Swain since you know like you're a big turtle lover um, how were you introduced to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Um, I discovered them, um, when I was, gosh, eight or nine, I was an annoying little uh, tag-along kid to this, you know, older guy in my neighborhood who I thought was cool. He was like 12 or 13, and he had a poster on his wall that, you know, was four turtles with weapons that said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it was, uh, based on the original comic, and I was like, whoa, what are those, and... Yeah, those are really cool. And so he, uh, you know, he introduced me to a little bit of the comics. I wasn't quite, you know, I was young, so I had a hard time following them as as uh, well as uh, an older person could. But I still enjoyed it. And then uh, eventually, just discovered the cartoon once uh, I stumbled across it one Saturday morning and just totally flipped out and thought it was awesome. <laughs> what about you, Alan? Were you tagging along? Did you watch it at a friend's house, like? Like maybe did. Oh, uh, you have to take a wee stab at my at friend's house thing. Yes, yeah. very good. No, um, I basically was a case of I was just sitting watching Saturday morning cartoons and on popped these four green individuals and I was hooked from day one. I just thought it was absolutely awesome that there could be these... What's it? Anthropomorphic turtles? Swain? No, this is... Anthropomorphic. There we go. And that's the one. Yep. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> Turtles running around with all these sort of ninja weapons. And as a kid, you're just like, that is pretty awesome. Uh, well, you see, I wasn't... What I remember was... Um, I remember playing the NES game first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, because, obviously, there was quite a few NES games that came out. I remember a Harry Night Mega Man 10-yard fight, which I thought was a fighting game and not baseball. <laughs> and um, the Turtles game and loving the Turtles game um, so that's how I was introduced whenever I went away like on holiday with my parents my sister and I would always play the Turtles arcade so I think it was after playing the games that I then started to watch the TV show um, but that's how I remember it anyway Cool um, Sween, what was your earliest memory regarding the Turtles besides obviously your tagging along with your friend early memory um, after discovering the comic and cartoon um, I was at a uh, pharmacy one day and this was back in the days when you know toys were easier to find anywhere Um, and I, I just you know always whenever my mom went in to get medicine or go to the grocery or whatever I just you know of course drifted off to the toy section what kid wouldn't um, and there was suddenly pegs full of these guys I saw on my friend's wall and on TV, and I was like, "Whoa! Oh my God!" And, you know, of course, <laughs> scene. And so, 
my mom eventually uh, she she bought me Leonardo and Shredder if I agreed to behave while her date for the evening was over. Bribery oh. <laughs> <laughs> and corruption makes the world go round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, these two are yours if you act right. And she would eventually marry the gentleman who is my dad now. So <laughs> that all worked out just aces, but got me two turtles out of the deal. <laughs> That's awesome. What about you, Chris? My <laughs> earliest memory is on Christmas Day actually not being well, actually having the flu. And uh, my mom and dad were trying to help Santa Claus by acquiring some of the turtles figures. And uh, they went around to all the local toy stores and couldn't see any whatsoever. And it was in, you're familiar with McCulloch's? And Indeed yeah. I am, yes. Uh, basically, McCulloch's, um, Sween, they sell a lot of older stuff, you know, like buggies and all this kind of stuff, you know, like um, they would do the more refined toys, shall we say, you know, like train sets and all that kind of stuff. It's not really oh, like a okay. Toys R Us or anything like that. Um, so they actually... Yeah, we got some of those. You know, so they actually got them there. And uh, I just remember lying on the couch with my duvet over me and my turtle figures actually in my turtle bag. Actually, I had a blue bag that had a picture of the turtles on it, um, which my uncle got me. And that's probably my earliest, my earliest Christmas memory, but my earliest memory to do with turtles, like the actual figures and stuff. And it's only now, whenever I'm watching Sween's reviews and thinking... I'd love to start collecting the turtles. Mm. Like, no, I can't. You know, can't like, afford God, it. <laughs> God knows how much money I need to shell out. No pun intended. For um, the Masters of the Universe classics figures each month, you know, and then oh, we'll move this from here to there, and you're like, no. If Mattel had them and did like a subscription, that'd be fine. But they don't. <laughs> Sadly, not. No, uh, for me, it had to be just I was out. Uh, I think it was out shopping with my mum sometime a wee bit like Swing going out um, and there was this I'm trying to remember was it, do you remember Chris Toymaster yes yeah it was like a dog furlough or something silly like that and this place basically just had an entire corner dedicated to turtles and it was a case of my mum had been in the store with me and she'd thought I'd ran off and left so she she left the store Needless to say, I had found my way into the storeroom somehow as a young child. I was, I think, I was only five or so at the time. So well, you don't, you don't starting young. You don't really understand your boundaries, as in don't don't go back there. So I think, but basically, I found a whole other like reel of new turtle toys. So I was just standing there and looking at them and just looking at the pictures and going, "Whoa, these are awesome!" And I was like, "To the guy, can I have this one?" And he was like, "No, they're not on sale yet." And I was like, "Aww." Needless to say, I got my mum to take me back the next week and get it. <laughs> but that's that's my earliest memory when it comes to the toys and all. So, Swing gets a dad out of it, and you get to invade a stockroom then? Is yep. that what's going on? God above. Okay, so, um, Swing, did you enjoy, like, with the first episode of the Turtles, you know, um, we see how they're actually introduced in the cartoon, you know, Splinter explained to April how they came into being. Um, were you, did you particularly enjoy how this was done, or do you think it could have been done in more length rather than, you know, like a two or three minute flashback? Um, 
I thought it was appropriate enough for a cartoon because, you know, with uh, television audiences, you really got to get the ball going quicker in most cases, particularly with uh, young children with short attention spans. Sorry, what? Like, you know, they're going to be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, uh, you know, kids with attention spans, you got to get the thing going quickly. You know, they're like, okay, I want to know how this happened now. You know, tell them, and, you know, two or three minutes is about all the attention span a lot of kids have, so that's about the best you're going to get, I think. But I was cool with it, and, you know, of course, if you read the comics, which we'll talk about later, you get into, uh, you get more detail there, so if you need it slower with a slower burn, there you go. Okay. No, I think Swain's hit the nail on the head there. Kids have such a small attention span, it's unreal. Probably more so nowadays than even back then. Nowadays, you basically have to grab that child. Not literally, but uh, preferably... Especially if wandering in the stockroom, you to do that. <laughs> by the throat, so to say, <laughs> and basically say, look, here is our product, you know, watch this, or buy this, or you want this. Kind of the sort of stuff you see nowadays with the sort of the likes of the Spongebobs and all that crazy glee stuff and all. It's just like, ugh. But... Uh, I noticed how you didn't bring Pokemon into the equation not, there, No, Alan. not at all, no. <laughs> not at all. Um, Pokemon is fantastic. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> but no, I think the way that the whole story was introduced was enough because it was reasonably, you would kind of say, slightly more serious in tone and all that sort of stuff. And, but um, I got to the point and I, got it, I thought it did well. I think they would have done... Maybe it's because with Master Universe, obviously, they did the beginning, you know, like, so you saw the origins of how He-Man came into being, that kind of thing. So with this here, I think, you know, it would have been good um, to see um, Splinter in his heyday, you know, with Shredder and, you know, like then the Turtles coming into being and just taking a little bit more time to explain that and just seeing the background character for Splinter and Shredder. But that's just that's just my my... Yeah, my two cents, or my one penny, or whatever. <laughs> um, Sween, everybody has their favourite turtle. Who is yours? Oh, gosh. I, I have my... It's kind of a Switzerland answer, but um, I love all four of them equally. Like, I, I don't think... Oh, boy. I don't oh, think boy. Yeah... But, like, I, I, I don't think the show would have been, the franchise would have been as amazing without a single one of them. Like, I just see each of the four of them is so important that it's it's hard to love one of them above all the others. Like, So, would it be safe to say that in some respects you're comparing the Turtles to the Beatles? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I guess that's a fair enough comparison, yeah. Hey, they're both known as the Fab Four. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, if I had to really be pushed, I could round it down to two, and it would be Raph and Michelangelo were my favourites. But I do see where Swain's coming from in the sense that they all have their place in the show. Yeah, uh, Michelangelo was my favourite too, was because he was so goofy, and the fact that I always loved the nunchucks, and that's who I always played as in the arcade games was Michelangelo. I didn't like Raphael because of the size, because he didn't have any range. Michelangelo had a bit of range. Donatello obviously had loads. So that's <laughs> what I based mine on, was the fact that what they were like in the cartoon, or in the arcade game, sorry. 
So, Swain, we shall jump from our favourite, or in your case, all of the turtles, but who would your favourite villain be then? Oh, I would probably have to go with Krang, because <laughs> who wouldn't like that? Who wouldn't like to have a brain in their stomach? <laughs> like, I, I mean, because you know, everybody thinks if they decapitate you, there you're dead. But no one thinks to punch you in the stomach. But um, <laughs> not just how how cool would that be? Plus, like, um, I always really, really loved um Pat Fraley's voice as Krang. It, it just it cracked me up every time I heard it. When I was coming along. <laughs> Um, Krang just puts in my head now um, when have you ever heard of the Teletubbies it's a case of it's just like Teletubbies gone wrong it's just like when I saw the Teletubbies (laughs) for the first time on TV I was like why can't I get Krang out of my head for some random reason it's just the whole thing it's the stomach thing he carries in his handbag it's Krang it's Krang yeah um, yeah, I, I don't know for me. Um, I like Shredder, but at the same time, like you're saying about Teletubbies, whenever I hear Shredder, I just picture Oof. Uncle Phil. That's all I can picture. Yeah. Is, is, is just that. Um, but I would, I don't know, I'd probably say Shredder over crying. Um, but I don't like how, again, like with Skeletor, you know, they made him more bumbling than they did make him kind of serious and that kind of thing. But I just like the outfit and stuff and just think it's cool that aspect and the fact that, you know, they call him like Tin Head or Tin Can or whatever. <laughs> um, obviously, there are plenty of seasons of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, be it old, be it new. But, Swain, do you think the first and original was the best? Yeah, I'd probably definitely say that um that's that's kind of the case almost with all series and of cartoons because that's where they um earlier ones tend to have the better animation um over time sometimes voice actors get like they decide to move on and so you know later in the series you don't have the same voice actor as before i mean it's just a natural progression of things i suppose but yeah by far first one chris Right, so are we saying that? So we're just saying about the original turtles. Well, Swing says that he thinks the original is best, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Oh well, I would probably I would say the best as well because that's where you're going to have your childhood memories from mm. and stuff. And even though it's a lot lighter there compared to like the 2000, you know, incarnation of it, um, it's two different kind of entities. Um, and they're with that there, it's obviously you could put it on and. Um, kind of enjoy the ride and the way the turtles all interact with each other and again with a lot of things in the 80s that the voice acting was key and you know like obviously you got a lot of great voices out of there and whenever you heard a turtle you would know that they were talking that certain way you know Donatello would be very you know brainy kind of the way he would talk Leonardo would obviously be kind of more authoritative Michelangelo would goof around Raphael would be the more sarcastic one so even though you would have all different incarnations you would have that same pattern going on but yeah the originals would be the one that I mean if I could buy like a big box set of it um, I would probably do that before I'd buy any of the other ones yeah no I have to agree with you it's the whole childhood memory thing for me has to make it the original and it's you'll 
understand when you all listen to the interview here shortly that for me, Turtles was such a huge part of my childhood. It was the cartoon. It was my He-Man, as He-Man was to you, Chris. Um, so to be able to talk to the likes of Townsend Coleman was fantastic. So definitely for me, the original wins it hands down. Uh, I was going to say about He-Man's been there and Turtles, but I think Sween might like disconnect. You might be. You might have two people against you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. Uh, Sween Turtles was obviously I would just say brought back in two um, thousands for another animated series. Um, what was your take on this? Very much like uh, we keep comparing He-Man to this, but um, obviously. 2002 show came back and you know obviously there was comparisons between that and the Filmation one what were what was it like for you whenever you were watching that were you sitting there going well you know like Michelangelo wouldn't do this or was it kind of just sitting down watching it with an open mind um yeah the latter I mean I, I loved the uh, 2002 series also um <clears throat> it, it was a new but old interpretation because a lot of it was really similar to the original um, comic which um, uh, Peter Laird, one of the original creators was, uh, he actually had more of a hands-on role with the uh, second animated series so it was you know kind of more tweaked to his liking um, but yeah it was, a, it was a fresh for a TV audience take on the Turtles and you know it's, it's an apples and oranges thing in a way, they're both great <laughs> Alan, no, it's definitely it's a case of it was it's completely different. You know, obviously animation style was completely different. And obviously, that's I think it was more it was brought up again to the sort of modern day standards. But like again, we say He Man. It was kind of that or Thundercats. Yeah, it's been modernized. But again, you know, it had everything you kind of enjoyed from the original stuff but again being typical us yes you could, we would have enjoyed we, you know we enjoyed this but it was a case of the original still probably just edges it in your heart but no definitely if anybody you know i wouldn't say you know if you're trying to get into turtles you know you have to watch the original so you can't watch the teenage ninja turtles yes you can watch those also yeah okay just because it had a class theme tune so it did um <laughs> one that'll probably be stuck in my head now um, but I, I enjoyed that one there and obviously also we saw the darker interpretation of the turtles which was good um, but while I'm on the subject of that there Sween obviously you do the um, figure reviews awesome figure reviews what was your thoughts on the toy line um, from that particular line from that particular series um, again I liked it um, I have I don't have as many of those as I do the originals, but I, I liked it and bought what I could. Um, but, yeah, the, the the first one still is the better one to me. I have more sentimental value to it. Plus, it was just more interesting. Like, one thing the second one was kind of missing was, uh, to me, was an excess of cool mutant characters. Like, it was mostly other ninjas and that kind of thing, but like Bebop, Rocksteady, Dirtbag, Slash, all those guys, those were those were great. I would have loved to see, I, I would have loved to have seen how they could have turned out a 2002 rendition of a lot of those kinds of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, with your, obviously, your older Turtles um, set, 
Is there a lot of that? Obviously, you said you didn't get an awful lot from 2002 series. Is there an awful lot from the vintage stuff that you're actually missing, or are you only missing a couple of pieces? It's just I've never asked Sween this, so I'm quite intrigued. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's always going to be a work in progress. There are some uh, key pieces I'm, I'm missing. Um, I don't like to play my hand on the air because I like to keep people surprised at what might. <laughs> Oh, oh, right, okay. No, I was just thinking Christmas is fast <laughs> approaching. Donations can happen. They have your email address, so, you know, like, you know, you know. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Obviously, the 2002 series was rather short-lived, even. Um, were we disappointed that this didn't last longer, Spain. So, you know, like you were saying, you wanted some more mutant characters. Do you think if it lasted longer, we would have seen that? Oh, I don't know. Who's to say? Um, <laughs> it, it did get a longer lifespan, to be fair. I guess it, it depends on... Um, some people consider once they uh, hit um, Flash Forward, I think it was, it, some people started dividing it up into a new series. But you could also argue that it ran from... 2002 to 2009, so that's seven years. If you consider it all one collective series, which some people do, it, it had a pretty healthy run, but um, in all that time, since we didn't start seeing them, I kind of, my hypothesis is no, but <laughs> we wouldn't have started seeing a lot of those. <laughs> Another way Sweet answers questions, but it been cool. puts in really cool words, you know, instead of just going, yeah, but I think this would be like, yeah, I'll just slip in a cool word. What was my cool word? You've lost it now. Hypothesis or something, I think it was. Oh, hypothesis. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) He was a mutant, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know for one, I know the way Swain says, you know, if you kind of counted as one, you know, it was seven years, but I would have, you know... What? We get so many reboots nowadays, it would have been nice to be able to say that you know, this show was kind of... It would beat the likes of the sort of Spongebobs and that sort of thing. I don't know why I keep harping on about Spongebob. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I have something against it. I don't particularly know. But, um, you know, everything has its time. But as as fans of the likes of the Turtles, you're just like, can we not just have it go a wee bit longer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember whenever I worked in the video rental place that we got the DVDs in to rent. And, you know, they... You would see the likes of the the you know the more you know early teens, early tw- uh, late teens, early twenties, you know, coming in renting that out, you know, because it maybe missed one or two in Cartoon Network. Because over here, it's just ridiculous the fact that you know Thundercats is put on, but you can't do a series link, you know, so you have to kind of remember to record it every Saturday. You can't TV it, anything like that. So that's a pain in the backside. Um, but um, I think that's why people maybe came in to get it. But a big talking point as well, Swain, was obviously the Turtles Forever. Um, I think I remember Mr. Halleck saying that he watched it with a um, bowl of cereal, if that was correct. Um, that garnered a lot of praise from fans. So, Swain, what are, were your thoughts on the Turtles Forever? Oh, I loved it. I mean, that what... What a brilliant idea. I mean, it's it's happened in comics before, like in DC Comics with, you know, uh, characters from 
different worlds and different time periods and timelines meeting each other. But wow, whoever thought we'd have seen it with the turtles on you know national television, not worldwide television, not just you know straight to video or something like that. That was wow. I loved it. Loved every second of it. It was. It was pretty sweet. I will say, like you know, we get so many different things, like especially over here in the UK, you get the likes of there's the show Doctor Who, so it's basically a case of time and space and everything can meet at any point, but for it to happen to something like the Turtles and getting to see the different styles, because isn't it, isn't it three sets of Turtles made up? Yeah, there's like the 2002 one, the original ones, and then there's the comic one, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Sweden, is that right? Yep, that's right. And they even oh, yeah. uh, showed pictures of the uh, live-action ones and that kind of <laughs> thing. I just I thought that was neat. <laughs> I, I like the fa- I like the fact that um, with you know whenever you see the guy saying yeah we've got the turtles and it's just like the the vintage turtles you know who stand there and they're just you know oh I demand my phone call who are we going to phone Pizza Express yay <laughs> like oh my god this is such this is so you know far away from the seriousness of the 2002 one but the comic one you know like I'd never really seen what the comic books looked like so seeing like the characters in that mm-hmm. environment was pretty cool um, so I enjoyed that aspect as well nice obviously Nickelodeon Nick, Nick, Nickelodeon uh, they do Spongebob so they do I know sadly so <laughs> um, hopefully they do a better job than well no sorry I won't go there I'll get hate mail from Spongebob fans if they really would listen to the show I don't know Alan Price at Spongelover don't just just stop Uh, Nickelodeon are bringing the Turtles back for another run are we hoping this is as good or better than the new Thundercat swing I definitely hope so um I know a lot of people are kind of on the fence about their new CGI look um I have my gut reactions about it too, but I am completely reserving any and all judgment until I see a few episodes and have some toys in my hands. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Is it safe to say, Swain, that once the toys come out, that we'll be seeing certain... Um, oh, I need to buy that for review purposes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, if only I could write it off on taxes. Oh, right, okay. Well, um, I think, you know, you should write a um, loving letter to um, Lord Killen to say, you know, like, can I just review these and get these for free, please? <laughs> see, what, see what happens. See That'd what happens. be sweet. Yeah. Um, oh, Killen knows I love him. <laughs> just putting it right there in the airwaves. All praise uh, the great Lord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope that it's done well and I hope that you know like in Thundercats obviously we've seen the way they hark back to the original ones you know like you're standing on my Samo flange what's a Samo flange you know that's obviously a direct take from the outtakes you know yeah. we've seen certain things in there to do with the Silverhawks and stuff so even though they're doing this they're paying homage to the original God Larry Kenny the voice of Lion-O is the voice of Claudus you know and then Obviously, there's a part in the interview later on where you'll hear Townsend talk about his take on it and stuff, um, which will not spoil. Um, but then the fact is that 
there's so many rebirths of things and if they do it right then they could really make it matter you know this could be the biggest turtles um, thing since the 80s and uh, I just can't wait to see what the first episode's like and see how they actually tackle it and how the storyline goes from the first episode you know onwards Mm-hmm. No, because this is the thing that I was really, really excited when the whole new Thundercats thing came along, which was kind of a spur for us to speak to Larry and all, like last year, and get an interview with him. Um, but for there to be a, another new Turtles, yes, the style, some people aren't maybe the fondest on or anything like that, but everybody kind of reserved their judgment on Thundercats, and we got a diamond in the proverbial rough for many cartoons. Um, but I would, like I would, Spongebob! <laughs> uh-huh. um, but yes, I'm very much hoping the same goes for this. Okay. Um, last question, Sween, before we head to our interview with Tony Coleman. Um, Sween, even though the comics were probably um, how we were introduced to Turtles, you know, like uh, you, yourself, you said, you know, you read the comics... Are you more familiar with the cartoon than you are with the comics, or is it the other way around for yourself? Um, I'd say since it's the cartoon that brought me to the dance, that's more what I grew up with, because you know how hard it is to get kids to read when they have television, unfortunately, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yeah, um... Uh, a cartoon would probably be where I'm more knowledgeable, but, I mean, that's to take nothing away from the comic, especially now that it's being reborn. Okay. Um, I'm starting to try and get into comics and stuff. Um, you know, like I've asked Ryan Porter for his thoughts on Spider-Man and stuff, because obviously he's a big Spider-Man fan. So, Swain, if I was to purchase, say, on my iPhone and read a Turtles comic... Um, and start from the start. Is there a particular series that you would recommend, or um, what way would you recommend the Turtles comics? Um, try to go back as early as you can if you want, you know, real, real original. Um, but uh, IDW comics, like I mentioned, just started, the, just relaunched it. And it's supposed to be a new uh, new interpretation of things. It's already, you can see the differences but the similarities. And so if you want to get, to me, I think this is going to be amazing. So if you want to get in on the ground floor with something, track these issues down. There are only three issues in. So oh, okay. now yeah, jump right in if, if you want to get on, on the ground floor. That sounds pretty cool. I might try and do that. I need that swing would be the man to ask. Okay, um, so we're going to enjoy, uh, we're going to go to the break. Um, but we are going but, to enjoy. <laughs> but we're before we go, um, Swain, um, the moment is yours to introduce our interview. So uh, take it away, sir. Dudes and dudettes, get ready to listen to Michelangelo, voiced by the talented Townsend Coleman. You are listening to a podcast on PopCultureNetwork.com. Be sure to head on over to the site at www.popculturenetwork.com to check out more podcasts and videos featuring toys, comic books, video games, and all the things you love. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Pop Culture Network store, where everything you purchase helps to keep us producing. Just head over to popculturenetwork.com and click on store. Three, two, one. Hey there. 
there, sports dudes. In baseball tonight, Grand Slam and Rath slammed again. Unfortunately, the ball didn't go anywhere because it was attached to a pole. In football, TD tossing Leo's making sure the foot aren't having a ball. In basketball, Slam Duncan Don's becoming a real basket case. And in wrestling, we find Shell Slam and Mike pinned by his python. More sewer sports all-stars coming up, but now a word from our sponsor. From Playmates. I'm James without Jesse, but still prepare for trouble. Make it double with Alan Price and Chris Vint on Operation Team Rocket. Oh, I mean Operation Retroshock. I'm blasting off again! Never underestimate the power of a turtle. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the video game. Rated E for everyone. From Konami. So welcome back from the break, folks. Um, as you probably heard, we were talking about some reptiles, Alan, that lived in a sewer, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so we're joined by a very special guest, uh, something, somebody who may be able to shed a bit of light on that. So please, sir, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself and what you're doing pertaining to little reptiles in the sewers. Whoa! Michelangelo here from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just kicking it in the old turtle lair, ah, eating up a little anchovy and hot fudge pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, welcome, Michelangelo, to Operation Retroshock. This is surreal. Thanks for having me, dude. This is like totally bodacious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> if I could kind of wipe the smile from my face, um, this is. Yeah, let me get you a rag. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. thanks. Um, so yes, that's the voice of Michelangelo, and Michelangelo Alter Eco is Townsend Coleman. Is that correct? It is correct. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. And I love the way you pronounce it. <laughs> what Townsend Coleman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It always, has, it always has a better sound, a better spin when it comes from from somebody you know in the UK it's just like yeah baby that's the way it's supposed to sound <laughs> super so uh, Townsend just welcomed Operation Retroshock we say this to everyone and we always sincerely mean it um, thank you for taking some time um, aside from oh, your my pleasure Chris thank your you. hectic schedule just for to appear on um, I know um, like I'm wearing a Turtles t-shirt now uh, Alan and I have been massive Turtles fans so this is a huge thrill from us so the first <laughs> question I have for you sir is how did you get into voice acting was it a career choice or was it just something you enjoyed doing um well it, it well it's, it was yeah it was a, a matter of both actually but um early on i used to be a uh a disc jockey on the radio in uh in cleveland ohio which is where i was originally from and i was mm -hmm. on the radio there for 10 years and and i was also doing a lot of acting uh on the side and and so while i was there uh a number of the uh, stations that i worked at uh you know i did a, a morning show and and you know, we were sort of encouraged to kind of get as wacky as we wanted, you know, back then. And, and so I used to do a bunch of characters that I would pre-record and then talk along with uh, on, on the air and just had a blast doing that. Well, well during, the time, during that 10 years while I was on the radio there, um, I discovered voiceovers and, and the, the whole world of freelance uh, voiceovers for commercials. And so I started getting into that and making demo tapes and taking them to ad agencies. And 
and started getting a lot of work doing voiceovers that way. It got to the point where, sort of toward the end of my radio career, I was making more money a year doing voiceovers uh, on the side than I was at the radio station I was working at. <laughs> and and I thought, well, you know, this is kind of a no-brainer. I can go do this voiceover stuff, um, you know, freelance, uh, kind of on a uh, kind of on a spot piecemeal basis here, as opposed to working six days a week at the radio station. <laughs> now let me see. Hmm. <laughs> so that's really how I got into voiceover, and then and then when I moved out here to California uh, to the uh, L.A. area back in 1984, um, I really came here to be an actor. I did not come here to do voiceovers, and certainly not animation because I'd never ever considered doing animation. It just, was, it just wasn't a dream of mine. It wasn't something I thought I'd you know, be pursuing. I came out here because I wanted to be in a TV show or in movies, and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, because I'd done so much voiceover back in Ohio, uh, I had a good demo reel, a good demo tape when I came out here. I got an agent real quick and uh, an on-camera commercial agent as well. And uh, and then eventually, after a couple of months, got a theatrical agent, which handles the movies and TV stuff. Well, th- for whatever reason, the voiceover stuff kind of hit for me really quickly here. And I thought, well, this is great. I'll make a little money doing voiceover, pay my bills, while I pursue what I really want to do, which is the acting stuff. Well, the acting stuff just wasn't happening. Conversely, the voiceover stuff like just took off. And about six months after I moved here, I was sent on an audition by my agent for uh, a show called Inspector Gadget. And and uh, I thought, gosh, you know, what a kick, man, because I was aware of Inspector Gadget from being back in, in Ohio. My, I had young kids then, and they used to watch the show, and so here we're out here six months, and all of a sudden I'm auditioning for it. And uh, it was for a new little character they were creating called uh, Corporal Cape Man. <laughs> and I went in for this audition, and, and I got it. And, you know, it's like a week later, I find myself sitting in a studio with Maurice LaMarche, who I'd never heard of before, Frank Welker, who I'd never heard of before. (laughs) I've heard of these people, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Me, and then to the right of me, Don Adams, who, you know, was Maxwell Smart on Get Smart, and, you know, here he was, Inspector Gadget. Well, of course, (laughs) I knew who he was, and I'm sitting right next to him, and I'm going, this is the strangest thing. How in the world did this happen? I just like fell into this. And I had a blast. And, and from that day on, I, I walked out of that session just shaking my head going, people can make a living doing this? This is a riot. And so I, t- I called my agent and I said, please, please, you know, if any auditions come up for this kind of stuff, let me know because, you know, I'd, I'd be thrilled to go audition for stuff. And so that's how it happened. You know, I didn't. I, it wasn't a, an intentional. You know, I want to get into cartoons kind of thing. It was mm-hmm. just that I, I wanted to be an actor, and this happened to be you know one of the things that I did along the way, and then it sort of ended up becoming my career. Okay, cool. Um, obviously, you mentioned Inspector Gadget there. What other things were you involved in? Obviously, before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, well, Turtles came along in '87. I got here in '84 and got. Gadget in 80, I want to say March or so of 85. Uh, shortly after that, I um, then went, did a general audition over at Hanna-Barbera, uh, did a show for them called Wildfire, uh, uh, did a lot of stuff that I'm sure nobody's ever heard of. But <laughs> to me, it was, you know, it was like, gosh, I'm actually doing that. I'm, what, I mean, the first day I went over to Hanna-Barbera, I was 
like my knees were knocking. I was so nervous. It's like these are the guys who make the cartoons I grew up with. And, you know, so I did uh, Wildfire and a couple other shows for them. Um, and I did uh, a show called Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs, uh, which was actually a Japanese uh, anime show that uh, was being revoiced into English. And so I got a part on that. Um, and was working with Rob Paulson and Pat Fraley on that early on. This was, it had to be in 1985 or 80, maybe early 86. Um, I did uh, Transformers Generation 1. Uh, had a little part on that, a character named Rewind. Uh, did um, uh, uh, My Little Pony, <laughs> if you can <laughs> yeah. one, of the, one of the brother ponies on that. I'm trying to think some of this really early stuff I did because I did, uh, I did uh, a show called Teen Wolf. Um, oh yes, yeah. I was Scott Howard on that and Teen Wolf, um, and then I did uh, uh, Fraggle Rock. Oh yes, also in '86. <laughs> it was the animated version for NBC of the you know the the popular uh, the Muppet version, mm-hmm. uh, you know the original Jim Henson version of it. So they were going to do an animated version. We did one season of it, and I played Gobo on that and uh, a couple other characters. So those those were all shows that I did. Prior to Ninja Turtles, but it was at one of the Fraggle Rock uh, sessions, recording sessions, that the voice director who was directing that came in um, and said, "You guys aren't going to believe this, but look at what I'm going to be casting and directing next." And he pulls a, a comic book out of his briefcase, and it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book. Well, none of us had ever heard of it before, <laughs> and we looked at it and thought that is just the craziest, wackiest name. It's like, are you serious? Is this a joke or is for real? <laughs> he says, no, it's for real, you know. And and so he brought most of us, you know, who were working on Fraggle Rock in for uh, auditions for uh, uh, Turtles. And um, and and Robbie and I ended up getting parts on it. And uh, that was that. I mean, that's how that's how uh, Turtles started for me. Um, but th- that's you know some of the stuff that I did uh, sort of pre Turtles too in like eighty five, eighty six, eighty you know going into eighty seven in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously you said that you know you got the interview stuff, but what was the interview process like? You know, were you uh, showing characters and said you know and give the names? Were you there to audition for Michelangelo, or were you there to audition for the likes of Donatello or or someone else? Well, yeah, back then the way it worked is you, you'd go to the studio where they're going to hold the auditions, and in the lobby they will have uh, what they call sides, which are um, uh, sample lines of dialogue of that character. And they'll also have pictures of what the character looks like, and then they'll also have a description uh, from what they call their, their Bible, which is their master book for that show, uh, which describes you know how the show origin how the how the the whole concept originated, you know where it's going, you know what the characters are like, and got all that. So so you can read a description of what the character is. You can see a picture of the character, and then you've got some sample lines of dialogue for that character that you'll be auditioning with. And uh, you know so you look at this stuff and you read through it, and and hopefully something clicks in your brain and you you come up with a an idea of what you think this character ought to sound like, and um, so in uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's uh, my first introduction to that was with the uh, Inspector Gadget interview, and that's exactly what they did. I showed up and they showed that to me, and I just looked at that. For some reason, in, intuitively, I knew what, I, at least for me, what I thought he he would sound like, and so when I did that for him and they laughed, that's always a good sign, and. 
And uh, so, you know, we worked with a little bit, and and, uh, and so I ended up getting that gig. Well, the same thing happened with Turtles um, and all the other shows that I auditioned for, is you go in, you look at the picture, you look at the lines, the description of the character, and then you hope, you know, something, you know, clicks in your brain. So, so when I went to audition for Turtles, yeah, I did audition for Michelangelo, but I also auditioned for Leonardo. Um, and I think I might, I don't remember exactly, but I think I might have read for all four of the Turtles. <laughs> but Leonardo and, and Michelangelo for sure, because here's what happened. Days later, when I found out from my agent that I actually got the gig, uh, what they told I said, oh, that's great, you know, what, what, what part? And they said, well, here's the thing. It's either going to be Leonardo or Michelangelo. <laughs> and they, and, but then they haven't made up their mind yet. But, but what they want you to do is they want you to read both parts when you go in for the first session and you read through. And then they're going to make a decision then which of those two characters they want you to play. And I'm like, wow, okay, you know, whatever. It doesn't make any difference to me, you know, just as long as I, you know, if I just get the job, that's great. So in that first session when I went in, they, uh, that's exactly what they told me. And same with Cam Clark. Uh, because Cam had auditioned for both also. And they weren't decided yet whether they wanted Cam to be Michelangelo or Leonardo. And same with me. So for that first read-through, the director, who had been the director on Fraggle Rock and brought us into audition for this, a guy named Stu Rosen, Stu um, said, um, okay, Townie, here's what I want you to do. Uh, you be Michelangelo on this first pass. Uh, Cam, you be Leonardo on this first pass. And then what we'll do is when we get through this first read-through, then we'll switch and have Tony have you do Leonardo and and Cam have you do Michelangelo, and we're like, oh, all right, cool. Well, we got into that first read through. I'm doing Michelangelo, and the read through ended up being a little more difficult, I think, that than the maybe uh, the producers or whoever had, had planned, and and it was a it was a bit of a um, a stretch kind of getting through this first one. And uh, by the time we got through it, we, they, we never ended up going back. And, well, I mean, we did another re-record of that, uh, or a second pass on it. But rather than switching parts, I guess they felt, or Stu felt, or whatever was going on, because I, I don't know uh, was going on, they, they just never switched us. And so we did another uh, pass, another read-through of it, and uh, recorded it. And I was still Michelangelo, and Cam was still Leonardo. They just... Just, I think they had other things that were more important and more pressing to them or something uh, than trying to worry about, you know, me and Cam playing the two different parts. <laughs> so we just recorded it again, and it stayed that way. And when we came back for the second session, for because what we were recording was a five-part miniseries. It was five episodes that was going to be aired as a, as a, you know, a daily show, uh, I think in the fall back in maybe seven, six or seven, seven, I guess. Um, to see if there was a, you know any interest in this thing and if it would get picked up, so we went back to record the second of these five episodes, and there I was. I was still Michelangelo, and Cam was Leonardo, and it just stayed that way. Uh, and we, you know, we never we never addressed uh, the switch, you know, or trying it the uh, the other way uh, after that. And so that's just the way it happened, and stayed that way, and stayed that way for ten years. <laughs> cool. Um, did you have a different take on Leonardo at all? Did you voice him differently than Cam did, or what was that? 
You know, I, I don't really remember, Chris, um, uh, but I do remember that, you know, sort of a part of the description of Leonardo was that it was a little more superhero. You know, he's the leader and, you know, so sort of the, not commander, but, you know, he's the, the leader of, of the turtles. So he was strong and straight ahead and, uh, you know, sort of a, a bit, you know, very sort of serious and, and in a way sort of superhero-ish, but not, not big, you know, uh, I'm here to save the day. <laughs> Nothing like that, but just just more a little more heroic, I think, is what it was. And it was very clear that Mac- Michelangelo was the party guy. You know, he was the he was the, sort of the you know the surfer, a valley dude, if you will, uh, out here in, in L.A. And uh, and then Donatello, you know, being the you know the the um, the smart guy, you know, the the brainiac of the group. And then Raphael, of course, you know, being the wise ass. And uh, and you know, and so. I don't do wise ass well, but Rob does it better than anybody. <laughs> I don't do Brainiac so good, but Barry Gordon just had that so totally down as Donatello. And, uh, you know, I guess I just sort of fell into the Michelangelo thing, and, you know, it was sort of pretty easy for me to kind of go, all right, you know, sort of took my, some of my cues from Sean Penn and uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know, and that sort of burnt out kind of, you know, doper head thing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what was the typical day like for you at the studio? Um, did you record on your own, or did you record um, with the other fellow voice actors? Uh, Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, you're always recording with the other actors. They love it when you're there as an ensemble group together, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a, 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 a really di- very different energy when you're all there together, uh, reading together and bouncing off each other, bouncing your lines, you know, if you've got dialogue lines with another character, it's always easier to actually have that person there to be able to bounce off of, because uh, other than just having a a different energy and more energy, um, oftentimes you get stuff that ends up being a little more fun, a little more creative, because the way they respond to you might trigger something in you that, that changes your response back to them. Where if you were recording separately, you know, just by yourself, sure you could do that, and you could imagine what their response is going to sound like, and then, you know, you could, um, you know, in your head, just you know, come up with what you think your response to that ought to be, and it'll work okay. They can cut it together okay, and you know, there are times when that's done. But like I said, nine times out of ten, they, they it's you're recording with the other actors, and so a day would look like back then. Um, this was back in the days when we were working on a, uh, a SAG day player contract, which, which, according to the contract, they had you for eight hours. Well, there's no reason why any of these uh, cartoon voice sessions should go eight hours. But there were some directors uh, occasionally who would sort of take advantage of that and, and, and abuse it to a certain degree and, you know, keep you there longer, you know, keep you there doing your lines over and over and over and over and over. Uh, you know, in some cases, you know, having to scream and yell and do all that stuff where you're afraid of losing your voice. And there you're doing that for, you know, six, seven, eight hours. So that was one of the reasons why um, SAG uh, went on strike back then, was to get, was one of the issues was not only to, well, the, the two main issues were they wanted to get that eight-hour day cut down to a four-hour day, a four-hour session max. And they also, at the time, you were allowed to, they were allowed to get three voices out of you, three different characters out of you on the same episode for mm-hmm. just that one contract. And that felt a little um, abusive, I think, to, to many of the voice actors out here. And so what they ended up doing is getting a four-hour session instead of eight and cutting it down to two voices instead of three. And then if they wanted you 
to do an extra voice beyond that, then you got paid uh, another contract for it for that episode. So you're essentially getting double scale. So, 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 yeah. So a, a day would look like you know going into the studio. They hand you the script. You read through it. You you have your coffee and donuts and bagels and you know <laughs> um, a chat with the rest of the cast and the and the and the producers and the and the writer and the director and the the, you know, the studio engineer. I mean, it is all it's all it was all very sort of communal and 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 familial and fun. Uh, it's not like that hardly at all anymore, just because things have changed so radically in this business, just technologically. You know, other than animation, uh, you know, I never go to a studio anymore. I just uh, do it right, at, you know, from my home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but so you'd go and you know you chew the fat, and and then uh, that would go on for twenty, thirty minutes, and then you'd go take your seats in the studio, and they had all the chairs lined up in sort of a semicircle, uh, generally. Uh, you each had a copy stand in front of you with a light on it and a mic uh, hanging in over it, sort of right in, you know, kind of hovering in front of your face. And uh, and then they'd do a read-through. And oftentimes they'd record the read-through, understanding that this wasn't meant to be a final performance, but who knows, because sometimes you catch great stuff on that first pass. Right. And um, so you read through it, and then, uh, and then you go and do a record, and the, the voice director will tell you, you know, what they, um, the things they want you to understand about what this script is doing or what that particular line is saying, and uh, the changes they might want to have you make on the next path. Uh, and then you record it again, and, you know, generally you're done in, you know, I want to say two or three hours. It usually doesn't take the full four hours. Uh, and back in those days, uh, at Hanna-Barbera, Gordon Hunt, who was the voice director back then, um, was just amazing because... He had this thing down to a science where, because they cranked out so many shows in the course of a week, uh, he would, the voice actors would come in, you had to be on time, you'd do your little, you know, chat session and, you know, get in your coffee, but then it was right into the conference room around the table to do a read-through, and then right, it's almost like single file, you're all, you know, going into the, the studio, sitting in your chairs, getting your script set up, and then he starts recording, and the whole process for him from start to finish was one hour. Oh, right. One hour. I mean, and, and it without fail. It's like whenever I did a show over at HP for them back then, I was always amazed because he got what he wanted out of the actors, but he was able to do it in a way uh, that he could do it in very efficiently in, in one hour. Uh, it was amazing to me to watch that. <laughs> and, and great fun, too. You know, it didn't have that same sort of kind of loosey-goosey feel that some of the other shows had. Um, but but it was but it wasn't it wasn't cramped either you know you just sort of did it efficiently uh, so that was that was a lot of fun and, and so that was the exception to the rule but most of them you know they they take you know three four hours awesome um, what was your opinions of the scripts for the show obviously you were saying things you know sometimes got changed about and that uh, was there any moments that you read something and was like what the hell is this um no actually not not for me because of the types of shows that I worked on I they weren't the kinds of shows that I had anything that I would object to you know or that I thought eh, you know what I, I can't really say this uh, I get that more in video games when I go record video games and they got me saying stuff that just makes me really uncomfortable to say which is mm. kind of why I don't do video games that often because a I hate screaming for you know two hours <laughs> yeah. don't blame you. And B, you know, they're rude. Uh, you know, they they end, they you know dro- they want you dropping the f bomb every you know three lines and stuff. And it's just like that. That just gets old for me, and I, I don't like that. 
so no. So for the actual work that I, I've done in my career and, and that I did in animation, um, no, nah, there was never really a time when, when I would object to something. However, I will say this, <laughs> and you make of it what you want, but okay. I remember going and auditioning for a show called Family Guy. <laughs> oh, okay, I can kind of see how where this is going. Years and years ago, and I remember showing up at Klasky Chupo, which was the animation house that originally was animating The Simpsons. And I go for the show. I know nothing about it. I show up in the lobby. You know, they hand, hand, hand me my sides and the description of the characters that I'm auditioning for and a description of the show. And, I mean, I don't even remember how many years ago this was. I want to say it was like maybe, how long has that show been on now? No, uh, is it on its like thirteenth series or something like that? Well, I want to say this is like really early on, like maybe. Well, I don't remember because I, I was doing the Tick in nineteen ninety three, and I thought it was before that, but maybe not. Anyway, it, it just felt like a hundred years ago. <laughs> so okay. I'm sitting there in the lobby, and I start reading through this description of the show and this description of the characters I'm going to audition for, and I'm looking at that, and I don't know, maybe I was just you know. A, much of a uh, sort of conservative prude or something, but I looked mm -hmm. at that and I thought, this is a cartoon? This is an, this is an animated show? Because I'm thinking Saturday morning, right? Yeah. And clearly this was not a Saturday morning show. It was not <laughs> geared toward, like, kid kids, like young kids. No. And there was some stuff that I, I was reading on, in my, you know, sample lines in my sites there for my character, and I just thought, I mean, something in my gut just said, Townsend, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I thought, I'd really love the gig, and I, but I just, it's like something was just saying, it's, it's a mistake. You know, stand mm -hmm. up for something here. And so I got up and I went over to the receptionist and I handed her the, you know, my sides back, and, and I just said, you know what, you can take me off the list. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to audition. And she looked at me, she said, huh? I said, yeah, I'm... I'm Little, it's a little, I'm a little uncomfortable with it. She looked at me. She said, "Why?" And I said, "I just don't think it's a kid's show. I don't think this is the direction animation should be going." Well, of course, that was me back then, and you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a Seth MacFarlane, um, Seth, Seth MacFarlane, Seth, Seth MacFarlane, or a, or a, a Matt Groening, or a, you know, a, a, any of these guys who are coming up with these shows, seeing where animation is going to go because they're pushing mm -hmm. it in that direction. Uh, I was just stuck in my, you know, sort of little Saturday morning kids mode in my, you know, my brain. Well, that was okay. And so I passed on that audition just because it made me really uncomfortable. And, um, and I've passed on a few others over the years, you know, kind of for the same reason. But boy, nowadays, you, you can't, you kinda, it's really hard fighting that battle because you can't go on a show, you can't go on an audition and find a show where you, you're not saying stuff that, you know, you would have just been shaking your head at you know, mm. 10, 15, 20 years ago. So. Well, we all have morals, so hats off to you for doing that. You know, uh, a lot of people would have maybe gone and done that and then felt regret after doing it. So, you know, but uh, back to do with Michelangelo. But you, 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 you wonder if any of, the, any of the actors who actually got Family Guy and might have had that, that twinge in their gut telling mm -hmm. them not to do it, but they took it anyway and they got it, and now they're making billions of dollars, <laughs> and they're going, well... Yeah, so I was a little uncomfortable about it, and I don't really like some of the stuff that I've got to do from time to time on some of these episodes, but the money is so yeah. good. Like, 
hard well, call, as long man. As, it's a hard call, I'll tell you. Yeah, as long as they can sleep easy at night and you can sleep easy at night, that's all that matters, isn't it? That's right. Right. Okay, so you were saying that kind of Sean Penn kind of inspired you for the voice of Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. Was that the voice that originally just stuck in your head, and you thought, "If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it like this"? Or did you have any other ways that you were going to approach the voice of Michelangelo? To be perfectly honest, Chris, that was pretty much it. Because because I don't, you know, I'd only been in town just a, a like a, you know a couple of like two years, and was sort of getting getting a sense of what the vibe was in 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 LA here and uh, and amongst the voice acting community and you know and back then there was I mean sort of what I, I can't tell you where Sean Penn took his original uh, inspiration from but you know it may have just come from something internal within him but back back in that day that was when you know the whole valley girl uh, phenomenon seemed to kind of be taking over everything you know and there was this sort of pattern of speech that they had and a pattern of speech that kind of the whole surf community had, which was primarily surfers, you know, uh, guys who were <laughs> surfers, and and it was just really sort of laid back, you know, and not like, you know, not just nothing's hurried, and you can just like, <laughs> you know, man, and there was a lingo to it, and a dude, and a you know, bro, and a kind of all that thing, and you'd hear guys talking like that, but just in real life, and I, you know, so I think that that's kind of where Sean Penn may have picked up some of his stuff, and you know, took it to where he took it. And uh, you know, and then you throw in the whole, the whole kind of burnt out doper aspect to it. You know, <laughs> where where it gets like really, like, whoa. <laughs> you know, well, I wasn't going to take Michelangelo in that direction, but I saw it around me. You know, so uh, you know, I guess it was it's mostly the Sean Penn thing that kind of kicked it off. But the more I did the show, and the more you know, we the more episodes we did as, as time went on, and you know, in the say the first half of the first season. I was still kind of trying to find my legs and and get used to what this character was about. But but there was something about the character that I, I felt like I sort of innately understood. And I don't know whether that, that was sort of the, the simple-mindedness of Michael. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying nothing in case the phone call gets terminated. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I, I don't know. It was just like I, tell, like, I got it. It's like, all right. Sure, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that. And then all you know, then it started turning into this sort of whoa, dudes. And then, but yeah, but then he got like really sort of animated too because he was like totally into certain things, you know, like hey, bah, and you know that kind of stuff. And so as time went on, yeah, I kind of you know found found my way and and uh, was able to incorporate it into you know what I thought the character might be. And you always sort of you can always sort of gauge it based on other people's reactions, like the other, like the reactions of the other actors in the studio, or the the reactions of the the producers in, in the control room, and the and the director and the engineer for that matter, you know, because you can tell if people are digging it or not, if they like the line, if they like the read or not, and if they like it, as an actor, of course, that's the you know best response you could get because then that encourages you to keep going and doing what you're, you know, kind of, you're on the right track, you know, do more of that, mm-hmm. and uh, so you kind of dial into that and. Um, you know, so the more of that kind of feedback I got, you know, I, I was able to kind of fine tune it a bit and and uh, you know sense what what works and what doesn't. Okay, awesome. Uh, what was the hardest part of being the voice of Michelangelo? <laughs> there was one. It's just going to sound really stupid, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. 
The hardest part about being the voice of the original Michelangelo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was not getting to be the voice of Michelangelo on anything else. And I'm, oh, not, okay. and I'm not so much talking about the, the subsequent uh, animated uh, Turtles you know, shows that came after that. You know, because I get it. They wanted a different feel and a different sound, a different look, and a, a different take on it. Um, that's cool. I was all right with that. What, but what really pissed me off back then was any time they did commercials for products like, you know, Ninja Turtles, Chef Boyardee, Macaroni and Cheese, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But these commercials, you know, and all this branding and merchandising stuff where they would, they'd hire other actors to rip us off who tried to sound like us in these commercials. Why the hell didn't they just use us? Mm-hmm. Like, I could never, ever understand that. I think any more than any of the other guys could understand it. It's like, what do you think we're going to be too expensive? You think well, it's like just talk to our agents? We want to do this stuff. Just virtually never got a chance to. And every time I'd see another product come out and it had another guy's voice on it trying to rip me off, that's that was the hardest part about being the voice of Michelangelo for me was not getting to be the voice of Michelangelo where I felt like I should have been. And okay. I, I don't. I maybe that's not what you were looking for, but <laughs> that's, oh no, no, that, that's, that's what that's what hits me because other than that. Being the voice of Michelangelo for for those ten years was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I don't really, I don't really have any negatives. You know, it just was. It was all just fun and a blast and a privilege and I mean, it was just a riot. You mm-hmm. know. Okay. Um, whenever you were obviously doing the scripts and stuff, did you have any input on the Michelangelo character? For example, his mannerisms and what he may have may not have said although half of that might have been about pizza, but if there was anything you think Michelangelo wouldn't have said that, he would say it you know, this way or would say something differently? Generally, generally not, no. Uh, the way it works, Chris, is you know, the, the writers uh, have, have, have poured over these scripts in countless revisions before it ever gets to us and have gone through the producers, have gone to the executive producers, have gone through, you know, to the network, uh, it's gone to standards and practices. It's gone through so many... It's jumped through so many hoops by the time it gets to us that, at least back then, for sure, and I, and I think it's still the same now, uh, or virtually the same, but um, it's gone through so much of, of the approval process, by the time it gets to us, they really don't want you changing a whole lot. You know, now you may be able to uh, offer a different little take or a different a reaction or, you know, a, you know, perhaps switching up a, a word or phrase or a line, you know, here and there. But in terms of, like, when they're writing the episodes and stuff, of me having input, absolutely not. I have nothing to do with the show until I show up to the studio for the recording session. They hand me my script. That's, that is my first involvement with it. And when I sit down in that chair and I start looking at my lines, I may get some ideas about, well, what if I say this instead of this, but it will be a mi- generally a minor, minor change. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of it for me, too, is that I'm, I'm not in really a, a, a very... I'm not a, I'm not a terrific improv actor. You know, there there are folks in this business, guys and gals, who are just immensely talented. You know, incredibly witty, quick, smart, funny, uh, provocative. Uh, um, they could just produce this stuff. It just could, like flows out of them uh, with such ease, and and you just marvel at it. It's you know, it's it's what makes so much of what this business is about come alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 
and I, and I just marvel when I work with guys like that um, and women who are able to do that. And it always, you know, I, I mean, I've said this before, and it's not like I'm you know, trying to, you know, diss myself or anything, but I recognize what my limitations are. And and there are guys and, you know, and, and gals who do this, you know, stuff and do it with such um, just amazing creativity that I just feel like I'm just trying to keep up. And where I see they're really at ease with improving and, you know, almost writing stuff on the spot, um, that's not my deal. I, I'm not so good at that. I'm not really a writer. You know, so I'll take what you give me, and I'll try and make it as, you know, fun, creative, uh, solid as I possibly can. And if I have some ideas about ways, I think, well, what if, what if I try it like this, or what if I, you know, say this this way? Um, I'm, I'm always willing to offer those suggestions, and and uh, and most often, you know, a writer or producer will, you know, be willing to hear it. But uh, so that's a really long-winded answer to. Uh, <laughs> to no, I think you're just basically saying some people throw the ball, and then yourself will take the ball and run with it, and run uh-huh. with what you've got. Yeah. Uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, was there a particular character in the show? Obviously, you know. You enjoyed playing Michelangelo, but was there a particular voice from one of your colleagues that you enjoyed the voice of because it was a particular actor, you know, portraying the character? Well, that boy, that's a tough question because there are so many. Like, like I was just saying, there's so many like amazingly talented people in this in this business that any time I would get into a recording studio to do a session, invariably I was in the company of people like that who I would look up to and just be amazed by you know, what they were able to produce on the spot. Um, but in particular, I guess, I just remember working on Turtles, and and one of the guys that impressed me the most uh, over the course of that show was Pat Fraley. Because Pat is, again, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but uh, <laughs> those guys who is just so, he's just so inventive and and creative, and, and he's got such a deep well to, to, to pull from. Uh, and come up with these amazing things. It's like I would, I would watch him, and I mean, learn from him. Hopefully, not in a way that would rip him off, but try and figure out how the heck do you do this stuff? Where do you get this stuff from? That's incredible. I never would have thought of doing something like that or doing it that way, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe the first time I heard, and sort of over, certainly over the course of like that first season, when I heard Pat doing Krang, I was like, where? <laughs> Where does that guy come from? <laughs> so watch him, and the way he would do it, just his, the physicality of the way he do it, and he put his he put his hands up like beside his head, and his fingers would be all contorted, and he'd be doing this like you could see it in his body language, and his, the way he would like tip his head to the the side and screw up his face, and he was crank, and <laughs> and he, I'd watch him do that, and I mean I learned a lot from from watching him and. And or Rob Paulson, uh, pretty much any of them, uh, doing what they were doing uh, in the studios, and try and sort of draw from that, and and try and add it to my um, my palette uh, mm-hmm. that I could maybe hope maybe I could try and draw on it too in a similar sort of fashion. Which is not to say that I want to rip them off, but you know the whole thing about vo- voice stuff that has always fascinated me ever since I was a kid uh, is that. They can't see you, so you can kind of sort of be whatever you want. doesn't matter what you look like. You can kind of be whatever you can create with your voice. And I've always seen it as sort of a painter's palette. And you've got all these, these you know, clumps of paint on there that are kind of 
sort of pure kind of not primary colors, but they're all separate colors. And let's say you've got 15 or 20 of them on this palette, but you dip into one a little bit and then dip into another a little bit and you mix it and it makes it something completely different, but it has qualities of both of those. So it's like this mix and match thing. I mean, you know, I've said before that I sometimes think of myself as a Mr. Potato voice. Um, <laughs> instead of Mr. Potato Head where you can plug in different ears and different eyes and different hats and <laughs> bow tie and stuff like that. Well, it's the same sort of thing. You know, you take one, you got your basic voice, but then you take one other, you know, uh, characteristic and you plug it into the side and mix it in. You know, I'm using too many analogies here, but, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I'm getting, it, this is becoming a messy metaphor here. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. You start adding these, like, little different things. It's like, well, what if you're talking like this? And then you want to, you know, put it farther back in your throat. And now that same guy all of a sudden sounds a little different. And then you sort of go like, you know, and then you add a little accent to it. And before you know it, and then you add a little raspy tits, raspiness to it. And now you've added all these things to it. you got a completely different character. And then you decide you're going to make him sound a little bit drunk. Well, the drunk doesn't work. You can make him sound very vicious. And I mean, you see what I'm saying? So you can sort of add these different like pieces to the to the core to the base, and the the pos the possibilities are infinite. They're infinite. So is that okay. your question? <laughs> yes, it does. Sorry, I was kind of blooming who's there. <laughs> okay, um, okay, I. I may do this well, I may do this rotten, so forgive me, but the catchphrase COWBUNGA DUDES uh, became synonymous for so many children, and how do you feel being the contributing factor to this with being the voice of Michelangelo? Well, I, I have to tell you, I feel immense, immensely proud of it. I, it is such a kick to me to know that, that there was stuff that I said uh, and, and lent my vocal... Uh, uh, characterization to other people's writing, you know, I mean, it's such a group effort, but, you know, when it finally hits the air, you're not reading a page, you're hearing a voice, and so to be able to be the guy who was that voice that said that stuff that became so iconic, uh, really for a generation, I look back on that, and I, I, I'm, I'm just really proud of it. It's exciting to think that, you know, I have, in a way, sort of a little place in history, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's it's a fun feeling. It's a cool feeling. I really dig it. And and uh, and yet at the same time, there are. I mean, you just you used the you brought up Cowabunga dudes as as one example. Um, you know, and 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 so to well, so the answer to that is yes. But there's 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 a, a whole other side of it that is something that while we recorded Turtles, I had no idea of until years later. Even still. Um, did an interview uh, with a gal uh, uh, here in the States uh, named Michelle Ivey, who has a thing called Cowabunga Corner, uh, okay. a, a web series she does. And she, we went to, I was at Comic Con doing uh, the animation panel this year down in San Diego, and she wanted to do an interview with me, and so I said sure. So she and her sister um, uh, Mickey uh, got their little video camera, did this thing, we did this interview uh, for her web series, uh, and. And Michelle told me these stories about how when she was a kid growing up in, in uh, the Detroit area of Michigan uh, that were just so heartbreaking to me, you know, because I thought no kid should be treated like that. No kid should have to grow up feeling like that, experiencing the kind of angst and pain and fear that she grew up with. But the point is, is that she told me, she said, but you know what really 
got me through it was Michelangelo and the turtle. And I and I would sit there and just wonder, you know, how, why? Because, I mean, I wasn't preaching anything. All I was just doing was reading words in a cartoon script. Mm-hmm. But there was something, and I've encountered this so many times over the years, there was something about this this particular show, but other shows too, but this particular show that seemed to resonate with kids who were having great difficulty in their lives, whether it was a physical, you know, challenge or a yeah. or, or, or an emotional disability, it didn't matter. They they found some comfort in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and drew from it lessons and 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 like mantras in a way that would get them through really difficult times in their childhood. And I'd hear these stories and I go, you know what? I, I got to be honest with you. I had no idea when I was doing this. That what I was saying was going to have any like tr- like real impact on somebody. I went into these just thinking it's a cartoon, <laughs> you know. But then to hear these stories years later about how these cartoons that I kind of dismissed as cartoons um, actually really had some sort of you know profound impact on a lot of people, you know, beyond the just the you know Kawabunga dude and you know the you know, being, being, being the voice of that. You know, do you, do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the same with the likes of, say, Masters of the Universe, which was around that time. You know, um, channeled a lot of um, that towards people and Thundercats as well. I think because right. it's an escapism for children, you know, and that's where it all stems from. And it's it's great that you know you get feedback from the people to do with things like that as well. Say, what about for children? No, it's just uh, the fact that, you know, children, it just gives them an escapism, you know, to, to yeah, yeah. you know. Got it. Okay, got it. Yeah. And it's there for, yeah, exa- and that's exactly what it was. But I, but for me, when I was back, back when I was doing it, I had no idea that, mm-hmm. that, that, that there was that aspect to it. None whatsoever. I mean, I'd go in, I'd read the script, I'd perform it, and it was like in one eye and out the other. As soon as I walked out of the, the studio, I was on to whatever my next gig might be. And I just left that episode behind me, and and that was it. And because I don't really watch much TV, um, over the years, I've seen very few of the episodes of all the animation that I've done. Uh, of of all the episodes of Turtles that we did, and I, I guess it's you know somewhere close to two hundred. I never got the actual count, but um, if I've seen, I mean honestly, if I've seen uh, five or six episodes of that show, it, it's a lot. I just never watched it, but I never watched any of the show. The the only show that I really actually got a kick out of watching, but never watched all of them, was a show called The Tick. And <laughs> you know, I because it was it was so off the wall, and I watched that. You know, I think maybe I saw most of the first season, and then that was it. I didn't see second or third season. Um, I just never watched the stuff that I did. So, so that was, I guess, partly what contributed to my not getting or my not understanding how these shows might impact uh, people or, you know, our kids. Um, because really, sort of my only involvement in it was with a paper script in my hand and a microphone in my face and me mm-hmm. sitting in a chair, uh, you know, sounding silly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Um, obviously, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has been reborn many, many times over the years. Um, you mentioned yeah. earlier, obviously, there wasn't you know, one particular project you were like 
that pass by and you're like, oh, I'd really like to be a part of that. If there's one thing, one Turtles bait or one other project um, in the voice acting business that you could have been a part of and weren't, what would it be? Um, I think it would have been the uh, the feature movies, the feature films. Mm-hmm. You know, they did three of those, uh, and and I guess the first one came out after we had been on the air a couple of years. And I remember when they had announced that movie, and it was going to be live action. I was trying to envision how they were going to make a live action version of this show. Mm-hmm. But I thought if they're going to do it, they're going to have to have people in suits, you know, in costumes. Yeah. And if that's the case. They're going to have to provide voices because it's probably not going to be the the people, you know, the puppeteers or, or the actors or the dancers or whoever it was that's going to be actually in these suits, right? Because you're not going to see them. And so I just figured, and kind of dismissed it at the time, that they would just use us as the voices because we had become so entrenched, you know, after two or three seasons, um, you know, in in the kind of in the mind of of, of kids in that generation. Yeah. That we we were the turtles. Our voices were the Ninja Turtles, and that if they were going to come out with another vehicle that had the Ninja Turtles in them and they were going to speak, well, they're not going to use a different voice. That would sound stupid. So they're obviously probably going to use us. Well, when it got closer and closer to release date, and we all realized that we weren't being contacted and our agents weren't being contacted, we're like, uh, what's going on here? You know, and so we tried to find out and found out that the producers of the movie or the creators, the writers, whoever, uh, they just wanted to do something completely different. They didn't want it to be associated with the cartoon. They felt the cartoon was too, was too, too um, juvenile. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Too, too kitty, too, too, too sweet or something. And they just they didn't want the same voices for for their project. And and honestly, back then, I couldn't understand that. I thought they were making a big mistake, and it seemed like virtually anybody I talked to felt the same way. It's like, you are the Turtles. You are Michelangelo. How could they not use you? They're going to use some other actor to, what, try and sound like you? Or, you know, what's that going to be? So while I never, and gosh, and here's where my ignorance just really rears its ugly head. But <laughs> I, never, I never saw any of the features. I never saw the three Ninja Turtles features. Um Oh, those those first three because I guess they came out with another big one a couple of years ago. Yeah, which I also yeah. Like... I, I also didn't see that. Um, but I heard from enough people, you know, and I guess I saw some clips or something, uh, you know, and and of that first one, I was a little pissed off that you know the guy who was doing Michael, Michelangelo, uh, uh, God bless him, whoever he was, um, <laughs> was sounding was sounding. You know, no, not exactly like me. He wasn't trying to do me, but he was cer- certainly doing that sort of kind of again party burnt out surfer dude, um, and his take on it, which is cool. Um, but but that 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 was disappointing. And then when they came out with a second feature and then a third, and they ended up using like different voices virtually on all of them. Uh, yeah. You know, that sort of wore off a little bit for me. But um, but I'll, I'll tell you this one 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 quick thing is that back then. The agent, uh, my agent that I had back then, who I actually still have now, um, I was I was the, I was the voice of Michelangelo, right? Yeah. And I remember years ago, back when Michelangelo was like was at its uh, turtles was at its peak, and Michelangelo was like really you know top of mind in, in the in the public's conscience uh, or consciousness. Um, my agent 
ask me to record their outgoing message for their voicemail. <laughs> so that when they closed for the day, you know, at 6 p.m., they'd turn on their, you know, their voicemail. And if anybody called after that, you'd hear, Whoa, cowabunga, dudes! You just got ICM, and we're closed right now. You know, <laughs> leave a message. Audacious turtle power, or, you know, whatever I said. <laughs> so, you know, when clients would call, or, you know, agencies would call, or whoever would call, this is what they would get after hours, right? Now, cut to, I don't know how many years later, but, uh, you know, say, eight, ten years later. I, I'm in uh, one of the, the, the big... Um, box stores here, like Costco or something, and I needed to call my agent about something because I, I had to get some information, but it was just after hours. So I call, and the outgoing message is, well, cowabunga, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Media. You know, it's the whole Michelangelo thing, but it's not me. Oh. And it ended up being that the, 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 the guy who was doing that was also a client with my agency, and was the current voice of Michelangelo on whatever series they were doing at that point. And they asked him to do their voicemail outgoing. So here I'm calling it and getting that. And I just, I looked at my wife with me. I looked at her and I said, you're not going to believe this. But I, I mean, this, I really see how the progression in this industry goes. You know, I'm about to fall off the other edge of the table. Um, yeah. So now I'm the old has-been. <laughs> I I don't know what I would have done if that was me. I really don't. What can you do? Except I mean, you end up just having to laugh at it because no, it's whenever you phone up going like "Whoa, imposter, dude!" or something like that on the phone. It was like, yeah, I, I don't. I think I just hung up. I think I was too like you know rocked about it that I I couldn't even leave a message. But I probably should have done that. Whoa, cowabunga, dude! Hey, Michelangelo here from your agency. And I just called and heard some other Michelangelo doing the outgoing message on your voicemail. What's up with that, bro? <laughs> <You know. laughs> so, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has been born so many times with the new Nickelodeon cartoon being the latest animation that we'll be seeing. Uh, were you actually approached to be part of this, or would you have liked to be part of this? Um... Yeah, that's, that's been a little complicated for me because, no, I was not approached for it. Um, neither were any of the other guys, you know, from the original Turtles, uh, mm -hmm. originally. And and I, I was bummed about that, and I asked my agent, is there any way you can, you know, get, get us in for that or get me in for that? And she said, Tony, they flat out said they do not want to see any of the voices from any previous um, incarnations of the Turtles. Well, all right, I've been through that before. I know what that feels like, you know, but just checking. And and then I hear, um, maybe a month later, that, that Robbie, Rob Paulson, who was uh, Raphael on the original uh, Ninja Turtles with us, uh, is now doing Donatello on this new one coming out for Nickelodeon. And I'm like, I mean, I just, I couldn't, I didn't get it. I couldn't understand how how that could happen. It's like... No, he's Raphael. If, if you're going to use him, use him as Raphael, not Donatello. That's, mm -hmm. like, crazy. And any ninja, like, hardcore Ninja Turtles fans are going to be, you know, gr who grew up with Ninja Turtles and are now are adults and watching this new one, if they do, 
um, and I'm sure they will, uh, are going to, you know, I, I think it's inevitable that they're going to be making that comparison. It's like, wait, you know, because I don't know what Robbie's doing for Donatello, and I can guarantee it's going to be brilliant. But, mm-hmm. but I think that regardless, real Turtles fans are going to know just because they know the name Rob Paulson, that they're going to know that that's the same guy who played the original Raphael. Now he's voicing Donatello, and I'm I'm really curious to see how you know people are going to sort of react to that and kind of get their heads around that. Um, if it, and I'm not saying it's even going to become an issue, but I'm just saying for for real hardcore Turtles fans, uh, they know this stuff. I mean, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, they know this stuff. I mean, you read it on the web, you go to IMDb. Yeah. It's like you know that you know you just know that stuff. So. I was thrilled for him that he got it, but I was, like, really puzzled then by, well, if they weren't going to, they didn't want to have anything to do with any of us, original ones, you know, how did he do that? Well, then, like, just days later, I get a call from my agent. She says, Tony, you're not going to believe this, but they want you to come and read for uh, Leonardo on the new on the new uh, Nick TMNT uh, series. I'm like, you're kidding. Wow, Okay. So I got the sides, you know, and, it, and I went in to uh, read for... No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, take that back here. It wasn't... It was for Raphael. That's what it was. <laughs> they wanted me to read for Raphael. <laughs> and I go in, and I'm thinking... The only thing I can think is, wait, Rob is Raphael. I can't get Raphael... I can't get Rob's Raphael out of my head, out of my brain. Mm-hmm. That's all I hear. And now he's doing Donatello, and now, out of the blue, just magically, uh, I'm lucky enough to get to audition for Rob's part. (laughs) It's the way it felt for me. And so when I went in to do it, i got to be honest with you, it was one of the hardest auditions I I ever had because I just felt like, I I don't know what this guy sounds like because all I hear is Rob in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to do, you know, what I felt like I could do, sort of the wise-ass Raphael thing. And, it, I mean, I could tell as I was doing it that it just was not working. Remember I described to you how when you do an audition and they laugh? Yeah. And it feels good and you know you're on the right track? This was the opposite of that. And, and you know, they were very polite. They were fine. You know, cool with me. Let me do the whole thing. And, you know, and you know, I tried to, you know, sort of make some adjustments and stuff. But it was pretty much uh, an in and out, uh, you know, thank you very much for stopping by kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. of course, I didn't get it. And in the ensuing months, I've now auditioned for, mm, I want to say, at least maybe three, possibly four, uh, incidental, uh, ongoing characters uh, for the show uh, that I haven't booked either. So, but, but at least I'm getting to audition for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like the last one I just auditioned for uh, a character who's uh, going to be April O'Neil's father. And I thought, well, that's cool. I, you know, I'd love to play that character. You know, sent it in, sent it off, and, uh, you know, didn't hear anything, so I'm just figuring I didn't get it. But, um, yeah, so I get a chance to audition for that show still from time to time, but I'll never be Michelangelo. You know, that, that'll be guaranteed. And I don't know what the show's going to look like. I think it's going to look very, I think it's going to look very interesting, uh, largely because of the, the technology to this. Like, when I look at the new Transformers Prime now mm-hmm. uh, and the CGI and stuff, I'm, like, blown away by how this stuff looks now. And I, I think probably Turtles will have a similar sort of uh, kind of sort of feel to it. Yeah. 
obviously you just mentioned Transformers there. Uh, you voiced uh, Rewind, the wee mini cassette in the 86 series, and also Sentinel Prime in Transformers Animated. How much of a thrill was it to you know be involved in another terrific set of series? It, it was a huge thrill. You know, back when I did Rewind in just a couple episodes of uh, the original one, I was so new in town and just really didn't know what was going on. Um, and I was still just uh, green and naive enough uh, to not be terrified. Um, that it was a thrill back then just to feel like I was a part of this, what, what was becoming to me a very special uh, community, a very special small select community of, of highly talented voice actors. And to feel like I was part of that was, was amazing to me. So the first one was cool. When I got the, 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 the last one um, for uh, Cartoon Network, the uh, Transformers uh, Animated, that largely came out of the tick. Um, because, I mean, what I had heard and what I had read was that um, the producers and the creators, writers, whoever, uh, were big tick fans. And so they, they wanted to bring Sentinel Prime back into the series from, I guess, the very beginning when he played you know, played a part in sort of the birth of the, the original series, but then was never um, developed much as a character. This is what <laughs> I understand, because I'm not a historian on this stuff. And I, <laughs> don't I, worry, I don't neither are we. And I don't really follow it. So, I mean, when, when I get in on something that has been that um, entrenched uh, and, and that um, solidified for so many years, and I come into it at this point, and I know nothing about the beginning of it, I, f I just feel really stupid. And, you know, so i got to just, like, listen to them and trust that what they're telling me is going to make some sort of sense to me. So this is what kind of what I was gathering that they were telling me about Sentinel Prime. But what they said was that they wanted him to have very much of a the same sort of feel that I did with the tick. And I'm like, well, you don't want me to do the tick, do you? Like the full-on tick thing? They said, no, 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 but, but really a flavor of that still has that same sort of flavor. So trying to find that was was tough for me. Trying to find that balance was confusing for me at first, and then I think as the episodes went on, um, I, I, I I sort of fell more a little more into it. But hate to say, I still think that uh, Sentinel Prime ended up still sounding too much like what I was doing on the Tick. I mean, I've seen I, somebody sent me a parody on YouTube of of. It, you, what you see on the screen is a scene from uh, Transformers Animated with Sentinel Prime and another character, and he's talking. But what you would and how they sync this up—it was amazing to me. But what they <laughs> took was lines from the Tick, and they and they took lines from a Tick episode, and they synced it up with Sentinel Prime and Transformers, and it was the sync was dead on. And I looked at that the first time. And I said, "What the heck?" <laughs> like, I'm going, that sounds exactly like the Tick. And then the more I heard the dialogue, I realized, wait a second, that's dialogue from a Tick episode. Oh, my God. They took Tick lines and synced them up with, trans, with, with Sentinel Prime here, and it's dead on. And it, so the whole point of their parody was, gee, isn't it funny how much Sentinel Prime sounds like the Tick? <laughs> you know, so, you know, is a thrill being a part of that show? Uh, I mean, for a couple of seasons, believe me, I had a blast. And, um, again, worked with some great people. Got to work with Sue Blue again, who directed all the Turtles and all the Tick episodes I did. And, you know, and, you know it's just great being 
um, sort of kind of back in the loop with that, and then also meeting some terrific new uh, new actors and uh, uh, new voice people that I'd never met before. Because I, yeah, I was sort of out of the animation community, sort of between kind of 2000 and 2008 or so, 2007. You know, so there's a good mm-hmm. long chunk of time where I wasn't doing any animation at all. And you get out of the community like that, and then when technology changes like it has, and you're just not seeing anybody anymore because you never leave your house, you're doing all your work from your home. Um, it was crazy, you know, being kind of back in the saddle again with them and uh, working with some old friends and getting to meet some new people. Got to work with Tom Kenny and David Kay and uh, Bumper Robinson and and, uh, and Tara Strong and just some great, just some great people, you know, uh, Bill Fogerbach. Um, I was trying to think, you know, it's it was it was a thrill. It was a thrill. Okay, brilliant. Um, obviously, you've worked in so many great series, you know, like the Turtles, Transformers, The Tick. Um, if you had to pick a memorable experience from working on Turtles, working on Transformers, and The Tick, what would they be? Oh boy. <laughs> oh, I hate these questions because it catches me off guard, and I always end up trying to think of something, and I can never think of anything. So then, what I end up saying ends up sounding like really lame and stupid, um, because there were so oh god, there were so many great moments and great times on all of those shows. To try and to try and remember one or pick one is, I hate to disappoint you, but it's like next to impossible for me. I'm, I just all of a sudden, I feel like a deer in headlights, and I'm, my brain is just like gone blank. Um, okay. Well, instead no, of can, that question, can, and then well, instead can, of that question, <laughs> I can tell you, for instance, real quick, just you know, meeting some of the people that I got to work with on these shows. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind because you know they would often bring in like celebrities uh, to do just incidental, you know, one episode characters. Uh, mm-hmm. But we got to work with them for the day, and I'd be sitting there in the studio, you know, like just, sh- again, shaking my head going, look at who I'm working with. <laughs> amazing to me. I mean, the first time I met Mickey Dolenz, and I've said this countless of uh, times, but Mickey, I, I was a huge Monkees fan when I was a kid, and, uh, and and Mickey was my favorite monkey. <laughs> so, you know, in the summer of 93, going in to the studio that August uh, to record that first episode of The Tick, and having to do those scenes with Mickey, just the two of us in the studio, was just surreal for me. Because, you know, A, I got to meet him. You know, we got to chat. We're actually working together. And he's my sidekick. <laughs> like, that's like backwards, man. No, I should be your sidekick. You're the star. You're the big guy. You know, you're the one. Um, so it was, it, was, it, it was experiences like that, really, more than anything, that 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 often made these shows so exciting because I got to you know work with people that I you know grew up idolizing and loving and admiring and then here now I'm actually working with them side by side mm-hmm. and there's a, just a great sense of satisfaction and um, sense of feeling just flat out lucky and blessed that how in the world did I end up here and thank you God so much this is just amazing. <laughs> That's kind of what we're getting from sitting down talking to you. So it is, you know, somebody that we've seen on the TV, you know, many moons ago whenever we were children and then getting to sit down and talk to the voice of Michelangelo. That's kind of where we're coming from as well. So we can totally relate to that. Oh, that's so <laughs> oh Chris, God bless you. Thanks for saying that, man. Because I, I, 
so weird because I know what you're saying because that's what happened with me with Mickey and and uh-huh. any number of other people that I grew up watching and got to work with and actually chat with and feel like God you know they're like a they're 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 a, they're a compadre they're an equal here yeah. it's not that they're the celebrity and and I, we're just working together now and that was such an amazing feeling for me uh, coming up through the years that I just felt so lucky so I I, I do I completely understand what you're saying. But I got to tell you, being on the other side of it and being that person is really hard to uh, sometimes comprehend. It's really hard to comprehend, to take in, to absorb, uh, to own. You know, it's like I want to shake my head and go, no, "Dude, I'm just a guy. I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> I just got freaking lucky, you know, and you know, parlayed that luck into more luck, I guess." You know, so it's like I want to say it's, it's, there's not, it's, I'm not that special here. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to talk with you guys, and I'm honored that you even wanted to do this. So, um, yeah, so I get it. Okay. Uh, last question for you then is um, how good it, does it feel to have worked on something that will stand the, re- the test of time? You know. Some twenty-five odd years later, we're still talking about turtles. You know, they're still getting revamped, and they're still. But for a lot of people, myself and Alan included, you will always be the voice of Michelangelo. How does that make you feel? Huh. <laughs> um, still making the poor guy feel uncomfortable. Huh? <laughs> well, it's not so much a matter of feeling uncomfortable. It's more a matter of just like getting choked up about it, um, feeling like, "Are you kidding?" I, I, again, I just feel like I am this lucky, I am this fortunate, this blessed to to be in this position, and you know I just have to look at it and go, yeah, dude, you are. I mean, just just take just take it in. It's okay, you can own it. And I mean, I thank you for saying that, Chris. It's just, it, I, I don't know, I don't know how to put into words the feelings. I mean, gratitude, thankfulness. Um, uh, a feeling of feeling humbled, uh, a feeling of feeling like really proud, um, like really happy about. It. I mean, there's so much that's tied up into it, and you know. So when I look back and I think, well, Michelangelo, I mean that <clears throat> that was part of an iconic show for a generation or two, you know. And like you said, that's just going to live on. It's such an amazing feeling, you know. I, I feel like I, I was lucky enough to sort of have that kind of same. Um, kind of impact in a number of different ways like when I think of you got Ninja Turtles and Michelangelo but then here in the States and I'm sure that doesn't really mean anything to you guys but we have an, uh, what used to be one of the big three TV networks here is uh, called NBC mm-hmm. and back in the same month of August of 1993 I got a fluke audition to be a promo voice over at NBC well out of that at exactly the same time I was doing that first episode with Mickey Dolenz on The Tick uh, they liked what I did as a promo voice at NBC and ended up keeping me. And I ended up becoming the comedy voice uh, of all their comedy promos for NBC <laughs> and all their late-night promos with Jay Leno and The Tonight Show and Conan O'Brien and Saturday Night Live, you know, all, all that stuff, for 16 years. And started with a, uh, uh, a campaign they were starting, which is when I started, called Must See TV. Mm-hmm. So that, that campaign became iconic uh, throughout the 90s uh, here in America. And so for me to feel like I was not only lucky enough to 
to have this, you know, strong identification with a, a show like Ninja Turtles that would be remembered for a long time. Now I'm I'm identified with this this thing called Musty TV and this this at the time this you know juggernaut of a, 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 a television network NBC. I'm lucky enough to like be the voice of that thing too now. And, and then when the tick you know it took off and even though it only went three seasons turns out there's still this huge cult audience this cult following of of that show who love that show you know mm-hmm. so it's like those kind of those three things um and even fraggle rock you know being gobo on fraggle rock i, I you know sort of point at some of these things in my career that to me in my head i just say if i ha- if i had a shelf and i were just to put like a bust of you know the, the sort of the most significant things that I've done that, that people might have heard of or, or, or remember, it would be, there'd be a, a Michelangelo, there'd be The Tick, there'd be Gobo from Fraggle Rock, and there would be the NBC Musty TV logo. You know, I look back and go, dude, you've had such, you've, you've had such a rich career, and you've had such a lucky career. How can you not be anything but just grateful? Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, um, Townsend, thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, um, there's um, the Autobot Assembly, which is happening next year, and you're part of that. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've got. It's called Auto Assembly. It uh, takes place over there in Birmingham, and it's going to be uh, in the in the beginning of August. I don't uh, remember remember the exact dates. I think it's somewhere around the 11th or 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they, uh, Simon has asked me to come and be one of the guests over the next year uh, with uh, Michael Bell. And uh, at this point, I'm not sure who else is going to be there, but I'm thrilled about it. And like I said, I uh, hate to say, I've never been to the U.K. before, so this is my <laughs> first trip there. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe I can make a, a little bit of a, a trip out of it and not have to rush you know, in and just rush right back uh, after that weekend. I'd love to spend some time over there. Um, but yeah, so I feel really honored to uh, to have been asked to be a part of that. It's going to be fun. Fantastic. Is there anything else you would l- wish to promote? Um, I know you're on Facebook. If you w- want to promote that, or is there a website where people can get in touch with you? Anything like that? <laughs> oh God! Oh, God. <laughs> I am so I am so far behind the times. Uh, I I am so I'm even though I'm like pretty tech savvy and I and I and I love technology. I to this day still do not have a website, <laughs> and people hear that and they just they go, "What in the world? Why?" And it's just because I guess maybe I'm too much of a perfectionist or something and just not gotten around to it. I, I can't tell you, but so there's really nothing to promote. You know, I've, I'm, uh, you know, if somebody wants to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, be happy to um, respond to, you know, pretty much anybody. What I don't do though is I I don't chat. I don't like to sit there and <laughs> chat people on Facebook or, or instant messaging or anything like that. Um, that feels just like really slow and cumbersome, and it feels like it, it, it sucks up my time. So I, I don't do that. <laughs> but I'll almost always respond to, to uh, an email or a message or something like that. Um, it, okay. Sometimes it might take a little while, and I'm not exactly the greatest about getting back right away. But <laughs> no, I've got nothing to promote. You guys have been so wonderful, and, and thank you for allowing me to... Um, kind of be a part of your your retro shock gang now. <laughs> yes, you are. So, Townsend, just thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor and a privilege to sit down and talk to you, sir. Just thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to us. We just really appreciate it. Well, 
Well, you're very welcome. And I should just say that I was standing this whole time, so I didn't sit down and talk with you. But I, <sighs> just kidding. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, thank you so much, uh, uh, all you guys, and um, and uh, good luck to you. And uh, all I can say is, turn on power! Join us after the break, folks. Hey, guys, I'm Rob Bass from Not Mitten Box, and you're with Chris Vint and Alan Price, and this is Operation Retroshock, only on the Pop Culture Network. Yeehaw, dudes! I just love the Old West when things are wild and woolly and turtles are really turtles. Crazy Cowboy Don is as rough and tough as they come. Sewer Scout Raph is scouting things out. Bandito Bustin' Mike always bashes the bad guys. And Chief Leo, leader of the Turtle Tribe, is a real man's turtle. Yeah, I just love the Wild West. Of course, I don't like it too wild. It takes a good rider to handle them rockin' horses. Hi there, this is Shane River, voice of Scott Tracy here from Thunderbirds. You're listening to Chris and Alan swapping stories and uh, dialogue on Operation Retro Shop. So stay tuned, you never know what you're going to hear. Hey kids, it's official. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are the nation's number one superheroes. Oh, rock, dudes! We did it! We won! And you can own and collect more Teenage Mutant Mania on videocassette. All right! Catch the antics of these wise-cracking green teens in their very first adventure, Heroes in a Half Shell. Right on! Then it's a wild and crazy encounter with hot-rodding teenagers. They're cool! Cool! daddy we are frozen! And don't miss the action when the shredder is splintered. Hey, sounds like a great title for a horror movie. Three editions of Fabuloso Fun. Yes, looking at you, kid. Collect them all on video cassette. Come on, guys! From Family Home Entertainment. So welcome back from the break. And uh, obviously, before that, you had the awesome interview um, from Townsend Coleman. Uh, we cannot thank Townsend enough for not just taking time out of his schedule, but to sit down and talk to us. You know, like obviously we talked before the interview and after the interview. Um, he cut us some fantastic promos, which you will hear later on. You know, like in future episodes, and uh, you may see one pop up somewhere, you know, like in a future show. You know, somewhere like that. So, um, Swain, obviously, you got um, you know very much like the Oscars. You know, they send out you know the um, the promo things, and the people get to watch them and go like, yeah, I like this film. So, obviously, you're a huge Turtle fan. Um, did we? do a good job you know like how well did we do or do we should we go back to the drawing board and just forget to interview people um just <laughs> j- just your thoughts sir fantastic guys that was i i couldn't have asked for anything better that was awesome that was uh, you know especially I, since he stood the whole time yeah i felt bad though because um luke actually swain actually sent us questions and Numpty here deleted the email. So and I'm for kidding. once, ladies and gentlemen, he's not calling me the Numpty. He is referring yeah, no, to himself. No, it was my own because it was whenever we were getting ready to interview him, and I think I was off that day, and I went right. I need to get these questions, and I couldn't find them, and I didn't have the heart to email Luke and go like, "Okay, Luke, um, 
I can't ask the questions you wanted me to ask because I don't know where they are. Um, I looked in the bin and they weren't there. But um, Luke was happy enough, um, and you'll probably you'll probably see why very soon. Um, Keep a weather eye on the horizon of Pop Culture Network. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously now we're going to talk about the Turtles films. Um, so Swain, the original film was released in 1990. Uh, did you see this in the cinema or? Did you put this in your VHS player? <laughs> Cinema all the way. I, I could not miss that in the theater, and I think I saw it three or four times in the theater. And if I put it back in the theater again someday, I'll see it three or four more times. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was VHS, but it is actually one of those movies that, obviously, we're getting a lot of it happening nowadays that, you know, old movies are getting sent back in to theaters because... Well, in the last year alone, you had uh, there was Back to the Future last October. This year, you alone have had Jurassic Park. You've had Ghostbusters. You know, they're, they Lion keep, King. Yeah, Lion King as well. Keep getting put into cinemas, and again, we're going to be getting from next year Star Wars movies in 3D. Well, <laughs> if it was Chris, just, Chris was about to make a cheer, but not. But well. yeah, if it wasn't in 3D, that go because I think I would feel physically sick after what, especially. <laughs> The older ones I could think I could cope with, but the newer ones with all the lightsaber twirling around, I'd be like, oh, I've got to throw up, oh, got to <laughs> blow chunks, dude. <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> be, for us, it would be pretty cool to see Turtles back in the cinema. Whether or not they would do it, be it, you know, say for some sort of anniversary. Are you or saying that you want to see Vanilla Ice dance in 3D saying, go ninja, go ninja, go? Who wouldn't? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> Spin that wheel. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> um, I honestly can't... I think I probably rented it on video because I remember standing there with the video box and seeing, you know... Obviously it says at the top, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then down the bottom you see the manhole, you know, lifted up in the four... You know, like the, the four faces with the wee bandanas and stuff and going, all right, well, I've watched the cartoon, so I wouldn't mind watching this. So I think I rented it out and watched it at home. Um, I don't remember much about the second one, and I remember even less about the. Th- I only remember I the thing I remember about the second one is obviously Vanilla Ice and the fact that Kevin Nash is in it. Apparently, <laughs> that's about it. Um, I can't really remember that much about it. What is it with Kevin Nash randomly being in certain movies? He just what, like the Punisher. Yeah, it's just like, and then what was it? Uh, the Longest Yard and all as well. No, oh, hey, yeah, it's just like Goldberg. It's like, what is this man at? But anyway, um, did we enjoy how the Turtles were put on the big screen in their first live-action film swing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was uh, I was shocked at how mobile they were in those costumes because, honestly, I was a little concerned going in uh, that they were going to be, you know, kind of too bulky to do much in, but watching them do all those, you know, all the martial arts while wearing those things, that, that was amazing to me at that age, particularly. What about you? Um, <sighs> yes and no. Um, I enjoyed the fact that I was watching Turtles, but I would have preferred, like, a Turtles Forever special, you know, like, a feature-length cartoon or something like that. Um, I've never never really been a fan of the turtle suits and stuff. I just don't like how they look. 
I, I don't know what it is, but I always prefer like the cartoon than the live action stuff. In fact, whenever I was actually trying to, um, you know, get the films to watch, you know, so I would be more knowledgeable, I could only really watch the 2007 one. I watched a bit of the third one, I went, oh, this is awful. It's kind of the way, like, Power Rangers just went, you know, Power Rangers, and I went, Power Rangers this, and Power Rangers that, and Power Rangers, and I was like, oh, this is just terrible. I think when it comes to the outfits, it's a case of, as fans of it, we're always critical of something we really, really like. We want the best. So I think I can see where you're coming from in the terms of the suits. Um, for me, again, I was still relatively young, so I was just like, oh, it's more turtles, so I'm happy enough with this. Um, but yeah, when, as you move on, it's just a case of like, oh, right, Vanilla Ice, great, cheers. Go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go, go, Ninja. <laughs> That's going to be in my head now. Uh, and we're not using that as the outro because we already did that. Yes, I know. So it'll have to be spin that wheel, spin that because that's 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 just the way it's. That's 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 yes. That's just the way it is. Uh, Swain, obviously, in the Townsend interview, he said that none of the voice actors were used from the animation show in the live action, um, the live action films. Um, for you, would have made more sense for you to for them to carry over the voices that we were accustomed to. Yeah, I would have. Um, I would have loved that. I mean, that's not to take away from anything anybody did in the film. Um, my wife was crazy about Corey Feldman when she was growing up, so she absolutely loved that he was Donatello. But um, yeah, I mean, again, taking nothing away from the people who were there, I agree with um, Townsend Coleman that you had established voices like. Um, you know, I mean, how how many places has Optimus Prime not been Peter Cullen? Yeah. Um, you, you, you have these, you have established iconic voices. I, I agree with them. I don't see why they didn't stick with those. But, I mean, that's just one guy's opinion. Yeah, it's it's a case of, you're like, why? These, these guys are the Turtles. Why not use them? But it's, again... We see it time and again with this sort of thing, be it a cartoon or a TV show getting transferred to the big screen or game to big screen. You're like, oh, well, this game. So we'll say, for example, Mass Effect here is getting ready to be made into a movie by a very good, you know, you know, by a good company, Legendary. You know, they are behind The Dark Knight and Batman and all that sort of stuff, and they've done a really good job. But... When video games, you're like, oh, well, such and such should be in that role, because they did it in the game. You're talking about Seth Green. Like Seth Green, for example, because he plays Joker, he should, people think oh, he should I be see. him. Because Joker is in Mass Effect, but also in Batman. See, I'm good. But it's a case of, we, we just automatically, as fans of something, say, we want the person we've known from point blank, you know, from the beginning... Mm-hmm. to be that person forever and we just automatically assume that but in terms of Hollywood they're just like whoever they can get the cheapest really that's 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 the way I think probably it was true true um, I think in some respects you know in some respects if, if you're doing a live action film then why not use the resource especially if that's still going and it's still a prop popular brand mm-hmm. why not use them instead of using some other person like I only just found out that it was Corey Feldman who did like one of the voices you know so it was kind of um, well yeah that's, that's brilliant but then Cam Clark to me even though he's always Leonardo will always be Prince Adam to me 
Yeah. He was a perhemo, though. That's just my two cents. <laughs> um, this, of course, was the first of three live-action films, with the second one being called The Secret of the Ooze. Did this top the first one, or was it a disappointment, Swain? Um, I wouldn't say it topped the first one, but I I don't know. I look back at campy goodness with you know <laughs> with, a, with a warm heart. Like it it was a uh, it was totally goofy. But what's not to love? I mean, where we're we're talking about you know ninja turtles. <laughs> like it's it's supposed to be goofy. I I enjoyed it. I mean, that's. I, it, no, it wasn't better than the first one, but I still, I still loved it. Um, no. <laughs> uh, it's definitely not going to top the first one. Um, and then the third one, just it's very much like the Karate Kid series, and I'm not talking about the Karate Kid that um, Jackie Chan did that has nothing to do with karate. Um, I'm talking about you know the ones that have Mr. Miyagi in it and the ones that have. Um, Daniel Russo in it. That first one was okay. Second one was just like, yeah. And then the third one was like, oh my god, give it. And then there's next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank. And you're like, oh, just leave it alone. That's what it's kind of here, you know, whenever you get the third one, it's like, oh, stop it. You're making it. What did it come like back in time? Oh, they might as well have all just got a DeLorean because they all went back in time. Which even Watch then, your words. I was just going to say, even then, even though the DeLorean is awesome, it wouldn't have made that film any better. Plus the fact that we wouldn't know how to drive it, but um, <laughs> no, the second one was nowhere near as good as the first one. For me, at the end of the day, it's these films weren't designed to be Oscar-winning performances. It's designed. They to have, weren't. No, well, they then. weren't. And the winner of best actor is Donatello. Congratulations! Go ninja, go ninja, go! As he goes up the exit. But yes, it's designed to be cheesy. That is the whole point. Yes, your people mightn't like it like yourself over there, but nonetheless, oh. it leads us in nicely to our next point, the cheesiness, because obviously, go ninja, go ninja. Of go ninja, go ninja, go! Is maybe the most memorable part of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, being sung by, of course, Vanilla Ice. Is this cheesiness the best part of the film, Swain? Um, one of the best parts, I adore Taka and Razar. That was my favorite part. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> Taka and Razar, yeah, when, um, whoa, aren't those the dudes we saw at WrestleMania? Yeah, that was, that was my, that was my, and actually Taka and Razar were in the, uh, vanilla ice scene, so, there you go. Uh, I was watching on YouTube the other day because obviously I wanted to refresh my memory with how brilliantly lyrical that song was to which Vanilla Ice actually stands on stage puts one arm up in the air and the other arm and starts thrusting shouting go ninja go ninja go now I don't know where he wants to go with that but um, what he gets up to with his own time is nothing to do with me and I don't judge people but he's a sick freak <laughs> I can't say anything though. <laughs> I, re- I really can't. That's a uh, fair point then. Uh, okay, well, Alan, in 1993, the third live action Turtles film was brought out. Uh, was this instantly forgettable? 
it's it's again a wee bit like you say we went you know pretty good down and down here it's I think this is a case if they thought they could milk the cow too many times and get away with it um, but to keep the short answer probably pretty much yeah <laughs> Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on the third film, or has it been wiped from your mind completely? <laughs> uh, definitely the most forgettable of the series. I mean, I, I still had you know a few moments I'd chuckle at and all, but yeah, definitely the the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I I don't think I've watched the whole film, so I'm not passing judgment on this and the fact that it's probably terrible because it's the third one I just like the, the cover of it just looks horrible <laughs> um, obviously after a 14 year hiatus from our screens the green teens returned with a CGI film was it worth the wait Swain yeah um, I dug it well enough um, I actually unfortunately missed it at the theater um i had to wait till video because uh just um if i remember correctly i was pretty freshly married at that point and we uh didn't we were <laughs> we were flat broke at that point <laughs> but um i uh, if i'm thinking of the right time period but for some reason i didn't get to see it in the theater but yeah it was fine with me i enjoyed it and we got you know even though it weren't they weren't mutants in the truest sense, we got more like anthropomorphic villains. <laughs> that word which were <laughs> which were tons of fun. Um I just remember I think it was the case I hadn't seen it and then we got it into work on Blu ray and I bought it and I thought, well this isn't bad. I need to watch it again though because I think I was being very harsh on it, going, Oh well that didn't happen in the original one, you know, blah blah blah. Um but I think I have to sit down and give it its dues. But I think for me again Turtles Forever kind of eclipsed this because it's back to the as as much as things like, you know, Transformers have moved away from being animated to being CGI and the Turtles have done that, um, I don't know if I, um they might have been ready for that step, but Old Man here wasn't. <laughs> um, I remember when I first saw the trailer creep onto the internet for this, I was absolutely over the moon because I was like, yes, I am getting, a, you know, yes, it was CGI, but I'm getting as close to sort of original stuff in the sense I'm getting a kind of cartoon Turtles movie. And I think kind of what got me pumped up for it was fantastic Lawrence Fishburne was being narrator so he was able to give that you know really cool deep voice you know like four brothers and all that, all that sort of thing I, I did I did I really so Lawrence Fishburne just appeared in there Fishburne. to say four f- say four brothers and they just disappeared <laughs> he, just, he just left after saying <laughs> four brothers bye yeah. but yeah I was really really happy with it but again like you um I I didn't see it in the cinema. It was really weird. I don't. I think it had an extremely limited run in cinemas over here, and I never got to see it. But it was again. It came in as a Blu-ray in our work, and I was like, "I'm having that for seven ninety-nine. Thank you very much." And I went home and I watched it on my PS3, and I absolutely loved it. Just again because I was like, "Yep, it's a movie. It's a Turtles movie. I'm a happy man." <laughs> okay. 
Mr. Swain, a uh, penultimate question here. Um, if we were ever to see a new Turtles film, how would you like to see it handled and what would you like to see in it? You know, obviously you say that um, the 2002 show didn't have enough, uh, you know, mutants in it. Um, would you like to see them involved in it or would you like to see every character or what way would you like to see it done? Honestly, I would, um, while I do love all my mutant uh, characters, I'd, I'd like to see um, a live-action interpretation kind of akin to the original Eastman and Laird comic. Um, I'd also like a video game in the same style, but um, the film, like, you know, the kind of a grittier, almost Sin City feel to it. I don't know if you gents have seen that, but... Um, I'd kind of like to see that. I'd also like it to really go a different way um, from what we've seen on TV and movies so far. I'd say uh, make uh, Baxter Stockman the main villain because he was nobody to screw around with. (laughs) Um, I have seen Sin City, so I know what you're talking about, and to see it done in that style would be class, and just see maybe their weapons or their bandanas just done in colour would be absolutely fantastic. I think yeah. I think Sin City style would be pretty cool, like because you could have the sort of it would be very very you could have it dark if you wanted, but there's so many different options to you with that style. But with I think if we're going to see a Turtles film, it will be a while because I know they have they have planned for the 2007 film to have you know a sequel, mm-hmm. and they'd hired I think it was they hired the guys who. Uh, what was it? It was Matt Holloway, I think, was writing it. But they've hired the guy who has uh, wrote the latest Mission Impossible to supposedly pen a new movie. I don't know. Seems a bit of an odd one to get the guy from Mission Impossible to write a Turtles movie. But if you're, <laughs> but if you're good, you know, if you're a good writer, it shouldn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, but it just, I think it would be nice to see, be it either live action or CGI. Um, but I would see they'd probably be more teeing it up again and keep it for the kids and keep it in line with the planned, you know, uh, TV series. Yeah, true. Anyway, uh, before we go, what would you say the Turtles have left as a legacy, Swing? Well, I mean, uh, look at it. Here we are, you know, getting close to 30 years later, and we're here talking about them. Um we're talk, you know, you guys got to talk to Townsend Coleman about, you know, a a voice role he didn't realize would be that significant. But look at how it turned out. Um, you know, people who still don't even follow, uh, don't continue to follow things from their youth, um, they still know who the Turtles are. Um, er- almost everybody does. You can say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and even if somebody doesn't read it or watch it anymore, they're like, oh yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah, those were cool. But yeah, I mean, there's no denying their their footprint they've left. Awesome, awesome. Um, for me, I have to completely agree with the whole thing. You know, here we are, we're nearly 30 years on, and that was the one thing that really took me back in the interview with Townsend, is that he did not realise, you know, he didn't realise until he started getting told here, you know, by people, you know, this meant so much to me, be it dependent on they were in a bad situation in life or whatever. Um, and you can actually tell that it means so much to him because you get voice actors and they're like, yeah, I'm really proud of this role and blah, 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 and I like the fans and all that sort of stuff. But 
just you can just tell when he put it across that it was so so genuine. Yeah. Um, Turtles is in one of the elite fraternity with the likes of Master Universe, Thundercats, Transformers that have went through a multitude of um, different incarnations and are still fondly remembered but are probably more fondly remembered for their very first outing. You know, Thundercats obviously have a new cartoon now, but a lot of people still prefer the original ones. Master Universe the same way. Transformers, some people enjoy Transformers Prime, but other ones rat and how awful the storyline is to it and prefer the, you know, the original one. And Turtles is no different there. We've said, you know, that we've enjoyed the 2002 show, but we preferred the original one. And then, you know, some 30 years later, you know, it's still a case of it's still popular you know if they were to do if they were do like commemorative um, figures of the original ones at this day and age they would still make a killing doing that and it's just nice to see that there are certain people like the likes of Swain who cover turtles you know like um, obviously you see a lot of people do Transformers a lot of people doing Master of the Universe and then you know not too many people doing Thundercats but um, Sween's one of the best at what he does review wise especially for Turtles and I don't think I've ever seen another Turtle review um, that can match Sween's for entertainment value and for being informative as well definitely Oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> You're going to make me cry now. Yeah, well, when you made Townsend cry, so I might as well make another Turtle Man cry. So, um, so Swain, thanks for jumping on and helping us discuss Turtles. Obviously, um, it's never a chore to have you on the show, especially whenever it's talking about Turtles. I think you're two for two now on the Turtle front on Re- Operation Retroshock. Um, so obviously you have stuff that you want to promote. Um, your, if you want to promote your Twitter account, Facebook, if you're on that, um, you know what you do. The floor is yours, sir. Take as much time as you need. And thanks from Alan and myself. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, well, as we've talked about Radical Retro Turtle Toy Talk, that's my uh, my turtle toy review series of the original line. Occasionally, we have guest appearances from the later ones, though. Um, for Twitter and Facebook, nine times out of ten, if I'm on there, it's for Pop Culture Network business. <laughs> I don't a lot of uh, personal stuff up there. Just, man, there's not much to it. That's uh, pretty much live for this anyway. But um, go to uh, www.radicalretro.com. That's where you can find episodes new and old. And it is, of course, a part of the Pop Culture Network, which is where you will find all kinds of awesome stuff like Operation Retroshock and Masters of the Universe Chronicles and Not Mentioned Box and From Earth to Cybertron and Power and Honor. And, you know, the list goes on and on. It's got a great form. We'd love to have you there. And be sure to check out the store while you're at it. I don't think there's a better way to end the show. No, there's not. So, um, well, I've been Chris Vint. I've been Alan Price. And the gentleman across the pond has been... Sweet Halleck. Yeah, so thanks very much for listening. And is there anything that's coming up, Al, that we need to promote or anything? Oh, well, just stay tuned and something will be winging your way sometime soon. So uh, just keep your ears peeled. And uh, thanks for listening. Say bye, Alan. Bye, Alan. Uh, Bye.